tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome to Wednesday's tip today. Alison here with you for the next three hours. And coming up on this morning's show, more on calls for traffic calming measures in Killinall. Following that horrific dog attack in Wexford, we'll see how laws here compare internationally and if more needs to be done here. Bonuses for bankers are back on the agenda. We'll hear some reaction from listeners this morning. We'll also be speaking to folklorist Michael Fortune on Christmas folklore and traditions. Uh, I think it's safe to say the Christmas season is starting to get into full swing, so we'll hear more about our traditions and folklore later. Dating now has a new term. It's called coughing. We'll find out exactly what it is later on today. Also, the benefits of a four-day week following the release of a new study. And Bear Grylls says he now calls his alarm clock, hear this, an opportunity clock. And we'll be finding out why a positive mindset is so important. Our phone lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp 083 311 Or Emma is standing by on the phones 1800 We're going straight to the phones this morning because yesterday Bonnie spoke to the show about her concerns for traffic camming issues in Killinall. Vita Fulkelser and Melda Goldsborough joins me on the line now. Melda, good morning. Good morning, Annie. How are you? Sir? I'm good. Great to talk to you this morning, Imelda. Now, I don't know if you heard Fran's conversation with Bonnie yesterday. She was very frustrated about the fact how she sees it, that Killinall is the only town or village in the county that doesn't have any form of traffic camming or pedestrian crossing in the county. Was she fair in that assessment? Is it true? Well, if you go into Killinall, it's a vibrant town and speed is an issue. Speed is an issue coming in from the Feathered side, from River Street, coming from Bellingary Road and on the Bellinumty Road. It's something that Bonnie has been in contact herself with me on numerous occasions and we are seeking funding under the Active Travel Programme for the raised beds in Killinall. Um, the council are proposing to put them in on the three roads um, for the pedestrian crossing is extra funding, so it depends on how much funding that is allocated. It's under the Active Travel Programme. Um, a number um, down at the secondary school there has been measures put in place. Um, phase 2 is coming with that, and there will also be Phase 3 in that area. So I do understand your frustration, and that's how the businesses in Killinall. It's a very busy town, especially in the mornings and evening time. You have a secondary school and you have a primary school. And I know the concerns that people have. But I just would, if they can be a little bit more patient, there's a lot going on in Killinall. A lot of work has been done. And um, the new roads under the roads programme that was the street in Killinall were done. There's new lighting out of the cross cannon um, going in in January. There's five new lights going in. There's a new, one of the new pop bins is going in. The second one for Killinall is going in. Um, each and the town and village scheme for the Schlievarder car park has been applied for. And in the Carrigan Shore district, there's over 20 different areas, parishes. And Killinall has been picked 
as one of those for the Town and Village Enhancement Scheme as well. So there has been three picked, uh, Killanoa, Benangaria and Mullinahone. So there is a lot of work going on with regard to Killanoa, but I do understand the main concern for those that are living in there is the speeding issue, and we are working to get it addressed. And the guards have also raised it because there has been a number of incidents there, and so I, I can understand. And with regards to the derelict buildings, um, they're private buildings, they're privately owned. There's different circumstances with uh, different um, owners, uh, but I would urge those um, to apply for the scheme that is there the Queen Aguiha scheme where you can apply for 50, 000, up to 50000 to renovate a derelict building. Is, so, there, is there anything that can be done, Imelda, to try and force the owners of these buildings to do something with them? Well, that would be this um, very active committee in Kilnall, the Kilnall Enhancement Group. So um, they can link in with the owners and see what their plans are and let them know of this funding stream that's available. It's something that the council are working on to let those in the villages and different rural areas as well can apply for it um, to apply for the funding. It's to make sure people are aware and to help them with the process for applying for an application. But they can't it's, be forced to do anything, can they? No. Okay. No. They do you can't, think that needs to change? Um, I do think um, is we have a number, we all know the housing issues that we do have um, and the lack of housing. Mm. So I do think that they should consider and put strong emphasis on doing up these buildings or um, zone them and give them over to the council, whichever suits, in order for these to be put back into use for housing. Melda, can I ask you, going back to the traffic hamming, Bonnie was quite frustrated about why it hasn't been done until now. Is there a reason for that? It all comes down to funding. Like I can understand, like last month we got under active travel, they got a pedestrian crossing. But if you want to go through it, like Nine Mile House is looking for traffic camming, and Glengool has no traffic camming. Ballingarry only has a zebra crossing. We don't have the same as Ballinunty. Mullinahone has no traffic camming. They're looking for it. Strahan is looking for it. Ballinur Duera is looking for it. The Feather Stretch is looking for coming out of Killinall. Kerry Street and Feathered is looking for it. So it's not it's not just Killinall. Okay. And each each of those areas um are of significant speed increase and um, people don't adhere to the signs. People are rushing in the morning, so speed is a is a big factor. Okay. So Killinall isn't being isolated with regards to the traffic planning measures. They will, we are working on three or four different schemes for Killinall and the traffic camming measures will come. I am, the raised bed would be more effective. Um, it, makes, it ensures that people do slow down. They have no choice on to slow down on the approach into a town. Okay. Like Killinall is a very vibrant town, Alex. Yeah. And like you have a number of businesses in there. You have Otoirs, Butchers, Central, the Pharmacy, Powers. Passes, Kilnall Express, all of those, all of those, just to name a few, have been in contact and have raised these issues, as has the Kilnall Enhancement Group. And we've had the engineers out. The engineers have linked in with the guards as well, and they have linked in with the schools. So there is a lot going on behind the scenes. And, it is, and people don't understand 
it is a lengthy process to apply for the funding to design these programmes. Yeah, I was about to ask you that. How long does it take from start to finish normally? It, it could take 12, 12 months. Okay. It could it could take 12 months. Um, like the works are so, um, like at the school, the primary school, like there's a pedestrian cross and leave it there for the kids to pass over and back in a safe and secure manner. Um, so, and we are we are aware of it, and we are aware of the instance. And I'm in Killinor myself on it on a daily basis. Okay, Melda. So I suppose just to to clarify the situation, <laughs> it, it's it might not be there at the moment, but it is on the way. To clarify the situation, um, traffic calming measures um, are being applied for for Killinor. Okay. Now I know I can't tell you that they're coming before Christmas because that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, it's something that we are, they are aware of and that funding is, is the issue. At the end of the year, funding is an issue for all local authorities, um, but they have applied for different schemes for Killinall, which will include traffic calming measures. OK, that's fair enough. Councillor Melda Goldsborough, thanks for letting us know that this morning. Annie, just yeah. before you look, sure. uh, leave, I just want to say um, I would urge people, in order to keep these um, small villages and towns alive this Christmas and into the new year because there is challenging times out there that if people shop local this Christmas and support the local villages and towns. And also we have a Ballingarry Christmas Fair on this Sunday. We've over 55 stalls booked in and we'd love to see people coming out supporting the local trades, people, the services and there's something there for everybody. Absolutely. Imelda, thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Thank you. Have a good day. You Bye-bye. too. All the best. That's Councillor Imelda Goldsborough there, hopefully with some clarification for the people of Killinall who were desperate for some kind of traffic calming measures and pedestrian crossing. Uh, just to bring you a taste some of the text coming in, Pat says that we were speaking about derelict buildings and I was asking Councillor Goldsborough if, if um, the owners of these buildings can ever be forced to do anything with derelict buildings. Um, legally, I suppose they can't. But Pat says put a notice on the building as has happened in the past and no political favourism. Patrick Neal also says referring to an item we covered yesterday uh, we will be revisiting it today. It was based on a letter we got into Dear Phil who sent a message into a WhatsApp group, a, a kind of an embarrassing message. She didn't mean to send to the group and she's wondering how to handle it now. Patrick says, thinking about the lady who wrote on Dear Phil yesterday who sent the wrong message. I've done it more than once um, and I laughed it off. Take it as it is. Keep those texts coming in to us. 83 Now, Sarah spoke to Fran yesterday morning and she explained how she was forced to give up her job and go on illness benefit due to a serious medical issue. Now, she spoke about how she feels it's very unfair that people on this benefit are excluded from any of the cost of living measures which were introduced for people on social welfare. Uh, We're talking about fuel allowance uh, and things like that because the benefit is only considered a temporary payment even though you could be on it for up to two years. We posted the story up on Facebook and Jamie was in touch with his experience. He joins me now. Jamie, good morning to you. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for taking the call with us. Could you tell us, I know you've experienced something similar to Sarah. What was your experience? I was due to start a, a fall scheme there a couple of weeks ago and was in less than a week of starting it. I got a letter in the post that my um, disability allowance would be false. So I got a letter from the doctor said I wouldn't be able to do it. 
Uh, was it being cut because you were taking part in yeah, this Yeah, it, it was being cut because I was taking, going to be starting a false game in, in, in a week or so. God, it hardly encourages you to, to kind of branch no. out and try and do something. No. Yeah. What what did would you have to do then in the end? Did you have to forego the scheme? Yeah, to forego the scheme, I'd get a letter from the doctor to say that I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm sorry to let someone else take on the post. God, that must have been very frustrating. Told you, you would be doing the right thing going out yeah. doing, doing false schemes, a kind of a maintenance streaming and kind of work like that, but I'd uh, let the opportunity pass me by for another time maybe. What do you think should be done? Do you think there needs to be, like, it, it does seem to be very black and white when it comes to this. Should there be kind of a grey area and should every case be assessed on its own merit? Exactly, yeah. There shouldn't be one rule for someone and another rule for someone else, maybe. Mm. Should and it be a leeway? Did you try and contact them to explain the situation? Oh, I did, yeah, but I got no help. Nothing. Did you even get a person on the phone? Oh, I did, yeah, but there was no, there's no, as they say in the song, there's no meet you halfway. Yeah. So what's the plan now then? Do you feel like you're kind of stuck on the benefit? Oh, I am for the moment anyway, yeah. Yeah. It didn't work you losing, as, as you said a minute ago, your fuel allowance and your other things, the bus pass and things like that. So you do qualify for those, those oh, items? Oh, I would, too. yeah. I yeah. would, yeah. yeah. Does it make a huge difference? Uh, it does, yeah. Okay. God, it's a, it's a shame that, like you said, you're not kind of helped along at all. It's either no. you're on this or you're on that and there's nothing in between. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Jamie, thanks for telling us your story this morning. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for talking to us. That's Jamie there. If you've experienced uh, anything similar, we'd love to hear from you this morning. 1800 or 83 in relation to traffic calming, a listener on WhatsApp says the home I was born and reared in is on a road in Thurlis on which these traffic calming nuisance ramps have been installed for many years. I think it's terrible that these ramps can be inflicted on any car-owning community. Our car our car have uh, has the crap beaten out of them every time we need to go out because of these measures. A uh, listener also says we could do with road ramps in Mulnahone. It's like Mondello Park here. That's according to one listener. And another listener says we don't need traffic hamming. We just need Garda enforcement. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 or 1800-938-007. We're back after this. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. One of the main news items and talking points this week is this idea of Gardaí being armed. And yesterday, Fran spoke to GRA Rep Richie Kennedy about arming Gardaí in the wake of recent violent events around the country. It sparked a lot of mixed opinion, I think, from listeners. Former councillor Sylvia Cooney joins me now. Sylvia, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good to talk to you this morning. Sylvia, what's your take on this? Do you think Gardaí should be armed? Oh, it definitely has to be addressed. It just has to be addressed. I think the, um, the guards are facing a lot more violent gangs, violent groups. People, young people that are involved in gangs don't seem to have any fear of, of the law. 
um, the the attacks on the guards in Dublin, the ramming of the police squad car. Uh, I mean, that just gives you an idea that um, they kind of say, come on, take us on. We're, we're well able for you. We can ma- you match you, you know. But to go into a crowd, to go into a crowd of people with just pepper spray and a, and a baton, it really doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to you? doesn't make sense to me. I think that if we want to have reliability on our guards, if we want more guards, to, to more people to join the guards, we have to back them. We have to give them a sense that, listen, we're on your side. We're here to make sure that you can implement the law, which is why we want you there. We want you to be there at the end of my phone call if I'm being burgled or I've been attacked or violently attacked or whatever, and I know I'm going to get a response. Um, we need them to be able to say, well, if I become a guard, like, they're going to protect me and I'm going to have the tools on me to protect myself as well. Um, There's been 89 guards died uh, in the line of duty over the years. And uh, 30 of them were killed, either they were shot or they were violently killed. Now, the others, there were traffic incidents or they died trying to save people's lives. I mean, but, but also, you know, Sylvia, it doesn't the, make most, sense. the most recent guard who was killed was Detective Colm Horkin, who was killed with yeah. his own gun. So would yeah. that not say to you that maybe they are a danger? Everything is a danger if it's mishandled. People drive cars, they still crash. Why do you have to do that? Because they were speeding or they were under the influence. That means people, you don't take the cars off the road because they're dangerous. You, you, you tell people to educate them, to show them the proper procedures. If you're going to implement a policy that the guards are going to carry firearms, they can have rubber bullets in it. I mean, I know the, the detectives and special forces, they all have live ammunition in their guns, but the ordinary patrol guard that goes around in the squad car that has to go to a house where there's a raid party or where there's disturbances, <clears throat> could they not have something a little bit more substantial than pepper spray and a baton. But then are they say they don't want them. So should their wishes be respected? Well, you say some will and some won't. But the majority I, I do don't. Agree. The majority don't. And the reason why? Well, I think it's very varied, but yeah. I think ultimately the main reason is because they see it as, as a danger. They see it as a danger that they would be carrying something more substantial than well, I think I know a lot of a lot of studies have been done on this and the comparison between the Irish police service and the American police service who are probably overarmed I think you could probably yeah. say but yeah. what happens when you have a gun is you're going into a situation at maybe a level 8 or 9 and the escalation happens very quickly and will get very high very quickly whereas here they are not armed, so they're dependent on their own persona and how they approach a situation. So it's from a level one, so it's calm, and it only gets high if it really needs to. So therefore you're not escalating a situation. Totally agree with you, totally agree with you. How to handle a situation, how to address somebody, everything is 100% correct that you don't escalate or whatever. But I do think that we need to maybe address certain areas where there might be sort of uh, special areas that probably have higher levels of gangs, drugs, um, you know, that are on the increase or whatever. Um, They carry their guns in these areas. They're killing each other. They have guns. There's guns out there in these areas or whatever. So do we just let them rule 
or do we say, okay, guys, if you're going to play with the guns or whatever, then we're going to either match you in that area and let you know that if you take the responsibility of carrying a gun, then you are going to have to address me when I have a gun. But at the moment, I mean, our guards have no way of addressing these guys that are killing each other in gangland wars or these guys, you know, drug lords that are controlling our country. Our young people are being subjected to being uh, exposed to drugs all over the place. So do we not address and, and be realistic about it or do we just do what we always do in Ireland? We say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, but then we'd have to mind this. and We have, uh, we back off everything when we should be moving forward. I mean, I'm going to make a little incident for We have motorised scooters going around now. I know this is totally going off topic, but this is an example of how we do not address that we have people going around on motorised scooters, the youngest six, eight, and do the guys have any control to say to uh, a child... But they're not going to pull a gun out on a six-year-old child. No, they're not, but what they're not doing is they're not addressing any situation that comes up where people's lives are at risk. These children driving around motorised scooters, we have to wait now until a child or somebody gets killed on the road when they're on a motorised. It's not pedal, it's not a bike, it's actually motorised goes, what, 25, 30 miles an hour. But that's a prime example of us, <coughs> excuse me, not stepping up to the mark, not addressing it. I'm not saying arm our cards tomorrow morning. I mean, that doesn't sound practical, Ali. You have to address it. You have to show the people, like, okay, maybe we need to have a look at it. Maybe we need to sort of sit down and have cross-party talks and get a consensus. Obviously, if the guards themselves, if you get the majority say, we don't want to, well, then so be it. You have to be obviously aware of what their concerns are. But it has to be talked about. It can't be shied away and say, oh, we can't do this. And we can't. Of course we can. And we have to let people know who are selling guns, who are carrying guns. Like, we can do the same. If you're going to push, we're going to have to push back. But would you um, like to see guns across all sections of the Gardaí? Or I'd do like you think it should be specialised units? I'd like to see guns available to certain sectors where there's high incidence of high violence. But I mean... It, also, when the guys... There was a guard on yesterday. I think there was a guard on yesterday. That's right, guard, Richie, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there was another one I'm talking about that he, he, he probably knows some of his colleagues that he said he wouldn't give him a gun. But that's the thing. And a gun owner yeah. has to have a certain personality. You have people on eco trips in every in every yep. kind of job in this country and you do in the guards as well and if you have that bad egg who has a gun he could do a lot more damage of course but you have bad eggs in every but that's what I'm saying but things. you're not going to earn them no you're not but you have to do a psychological report on all these guys obviously you're not going to hand it every stand in a line now guys and I'll give you a gun each you take them in you do a psychological report and you say well this guy to me, is steady enough. That's why you have special forces or whatever, that they have to be, you know, psychologically tested before they're given their guns. We do have armed response units in Ireland. And I'm sure they all go through a very rigorous um, screening before they're allowed to carry firearms. So you just apply the principle uh, on another scale and you just see and you just test and see, well, can we give these people armed but is it fair to put that pressure on guards if they're put in a situation where they have a gun and they're forced to fire it and God forbid somebody is killed, is it fair to put that on them for the rest of their life because of the course of their work they were forced to shoot somebody and they have okay. to live with that for the rest of their lives? Okay, so when you're joining the guards, you're joining the guards to uphold the law. And in this day and age, when you're joining the guards, 
people are aware nowadays, Ali, that there is a lot of guns out there. There's a lot of more dangerous situations that they can walk into than there was 10, 15 years ago. I mean, you could possibly say the same thing, Ali, I suppose now I'm really going off the thing here. You give a soldier a gun and he goes out and he has to shoot somebody. He has to understand. But they don't have the same kind of face-to-face with the public every day the way the Gardaí would. Yeah, but the Gardaí are not facing, it's not the public. It's not the public public that are the ones that are going to cause the problems. It's a certain sector. And there are certain areas where these sectors are allowed to feel big about themselves because we can take the guards on and we're not afraid of them. But, that, but that's in an ideal situation, <clears throat> Sylvia. In everyday situations, you might have a guard who's faced with something he's not sure of. He doesn't have time to assess the situation, so he'll automatically or straight away go to the gun when that probably wasn't the best option. Possibly, but is that not what their training is all about? Yeah, but the training is one thing, but being in real-life situations is very different, and you can't predict how you'll react in something like that. I totally agree. You, nobody can You can assess but you can't predict or whatever. But it's like this. Okay, the, the, the scenario now is that it has been raised. It has raised its head. Do we arm our guards or not? Now, the, the consensus you're saying is the guards don't want it. If the guards don't want it, then, then there's no argument there. Yeah. But the thing at the end of the day, though, is it will be addressed at some stage. And I think that those are in the know or in the power. I mean, I was on the, the drug task force. And you'd want to hear the stories that some of the guards have to put up with. Now, if you're not going to arm, at least give them a taser. I mean, one guard was telling me he was up against the wall with a broken bottle against his neck. The guy was so high on drugs that hitting him with a baton didn't even dent him. But if he had a taser, he could have floored him in two minutes. Mm. But we're not even going that far. You know, I mean, why are we so reluctant to give our guards some means of defending themselves? Because, as you well know, that when somebody is high on drugs, they feel nothing. They're afraid of nothing. But then is there too much red tape? Because a guard, they might tell you if if a situation happens and I even have to take out my baton, that is yeah. a report and that's subject to an ombudsman's report and I am subject to an investigation for what could be up to a year or maybe two years and the pressure of that alone for even withdrawing a baton is too much. So what would it be like with a gun? Yes, well, the thing about it is, and that's why they want the body cams. Yeah. That's why they want the body cams. The body cams are, 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 are normal, stable protection on the guards in most places. We were in Prague a couple of years ago. I mean, it must be about 10 years ago. And we had a tourist, uh, sorry, a guide going around. And there was a lot of uh, so, um, kind of military-style police or whatever. And they had these rifle things, whatever. And, of course, being the politician, I was asking her about how, you know, what's the crime like? And she said, we don't have crime in Prague. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, would, would you take these guys on? And I said, no. And she said, and I said, what about vagrants or homelessness? We don't have any. And I said, why don't you have any? Well, if the guys come along and you don't have uh, an address, they pick you up, we do in the squad car and deliver you back outside the city limits. But did now, you feel intimidated with all of those armed police around you? Possibly, but I felt very safe. Right. I felt very safe. I mean, I was in a strange city. I mean, we had a Spanish student that was beaten. Mm. A Spanish student that was beaten so badly his parents had to come home from Spain. I mean, what kind of message is that given out? <clears throat> that even people's children that are coming on a student exchange, that we're not protecting them. You know, sometimes, Ali, you know what they say, tough love. 
but we, we also live in a very litigious society as well. Oh, uh, yes. So yes, if someone gets shot by the guards, I mean, that's that's a case against the state straight away. Of course. And if somebody shoots the guard that has no defence, I mean, what happens to them? That guy <clears throat> who wanted the dog that bit the child, the dog was put down. But what happened to the owner who was responsible for the dog? Well, there is someone in custody, I think, today, according to the latest reports on that. But, I mean, you know, that that all takes time too. And I'm sure he'll face the rigours of the law as well. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Everything takes time. We've just raised the topic of whether we should arm our guards or not. And as you can see, there are various, various people who have opinions on it or whatever. But I have the greatest respect for the guards. I've been with them. I've seen what they've done. I've met the nicest of guards. And yet I have seen the amount of abuse that they are subject to. Mm. And there seems to be no... <clears throat> One guard brought a little girl home. She was absolutely out of her mind and knocked on the door and they said, you know, this is your daughter. And the mother said, and why did you bring her home to me? Gosh. They were told, to, you take care of her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they are dealing with every element of... Um, difficult situations in society from domestic violence, from robbery, from old men being beaten to death and people. We have to take a look, Ali. We have Mm. to take a look and and understand what kind of society do we wish to move forward with. And how it's going to look. Sylvia, great to talk to you this morning. Yeah, no problem, Ali. Thanks All the for best. taking the call. Thanks, Sylvia. Bye-bye. Just Bye-bye. to give you uh, some taste of the reaction to that this morning, a listener says that woman is correct. The guards need to be armed or at least issued with tasers. Another listener says, here, here, arm the guardy. You wouldn't send a soldier to battle with a baton or pepper spray. Uh, Patrick says one bad element to pull the trigger I'm totally opposed to arm Garthi. Now the listener says I agree with that lady, Ireland is always behind um, and another listener says it takes a certain mentality of a person to be in full control of a gun, guard or not, would we trust every guard to be in control of a gun keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 that's text or whatsapp uh, now, Sylvia mentioned it there towards the end of our conversation, and that was the horrific attack in Wexford over the weekend. Yesterday, you may have heard, Fran spoke to a Tipperary lady, Anne-Marie. Uh, she told us about the long-term effects that an attack like this can have. And she gave us the most horrific story of how her daughter was attacked by a pit bull earlier on this year. Uh, James was in contact with the show, and he joins me on the line now. James, good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, James. Can I ask, what's your take on this? We spoke to many people who say maybe that laws around dog ownership here in Ireland and dangerous, dangerous breeds, even though we have laws, maybe they're not implemented. What's your take on all of this? Well, I've worked for um, uh, many years in various uh, parts of animal welfare, um, including in countries abroad. And the first thing I have to say is that dog attacks um, are not unique to Ireland. Mm. But when they do happen, um, they the consequences are, are, are appalling. I mean, when I heard about that young lad in Wexford, um, I mean, it, it would, as my dear departed mother used to say, bring tears from a stone wall. Absolutely. Uh, it's just awful. Because, of course, apart from the the terrible effects, on the lad himself, there's the 
impact on the wider family, on friends, relatives, and, and so on. And then um, yesterday when I heard Anne-Marie's story, um, I mean, her daughter is obviously traumatized Completely. and will be for some time yeah. after what happened there. But really what um, prompted me to call you was because um, the incident at the weekend in Wexford and uh, Fran's discussion with Anne-Marie yesterday came on the, the back of um, a number of programs I heard last week on uh, RTE Liveline, where on consecutive days they had a spate of calls from people in different parts of the country um, relating their experience uh, with dog attacks. Now, it wasn't as horrendous as, um, you know, the, the, what happened to the, the Wexford lad and, and mm -hmm. Anne-Marie, but it involved um, their dogs being attacked while they were out doing what so many people like to do and enjoy, and that's taking their dog for a walk. Can I ask you, James, did it tend to be the same breed of dog that was attacking? No, it didn't. Okay. It didn't. Um, and in my experience, uh, I mean, undoubtedly, bull breeds do do tend to top the list, so mm. to speak. But, I mean, there were Alsatians involved. There was Dobermans involved. They're usually big dogs, of course. I mean, if you're attacked by a pit bull, it's obviously going to have greater consequences yeah. than if you're attacked by a Pekingese. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the reality of the situation. But, I mean, there were some of the calls... But um, to, to Lifeline, there was a man calling from an airport and he clearly um, was still suffering long after what had happened to him. He'd been out walking his dog in Athlone, I think it was, and it was a small dog, a Jack Russell or a Yorkshire Terrier, and two large uh, American bulldogs uh, were on the loose and they attacked and killed the dog in front of him. Oh, God. And that wasn't the only. I mean, another others recalled the same thing. Um, so, when this happens, there's an upsurge of uh, concern and debate. And the thing of it is, um, what do we do about it? Now, there's there's two trains of thought. Um, speaking, you know, from an animal welfare perspective, and from somebody who works and has worked for years in animal welfare, the first. Um, camp, so to speak, is that dogs are the problem. Um, pit bulls, if we didn't have pit bulls or if we controlled them more effectively, then that would uh, alleviate or solve the problem. Mm. And, because, but, sorry to interrupt, we did have um, a TD yesterday calling for, even though we do have restrictions with certain breeds in this country, he's now calling for an outright ban on these breeds. Yes, yeah, well, that that's common. I mean, this happens you know, wherever this sort of thing happens. There's an upsurge. Usually politicians will will come forward and others, phone-ins and so on, will bring forward. We must get rid of these, these animals. But, you know, I have to tell you, in different parts of the world where they've had, or they've had pretty strict restrictions here. Uh, in, I'm, I'm actually based in London. I'm mm -hmm. calling you from London at the moment. Um, and they've had pretty, pretty uh, strong restrictions here. And yet, there have been attacks by pit bull type dogs. Um, I mean, children have been killed in this country, uh, but this, despite these these restrictions. But the the other train of thought, um, or other 
camp, if you like, when people start talking about these issues, is that owners are the problem. That, um, I mean, I have a friend who constantly says dogs are not the problem, problem dogs are not the problem, problem owners are. And that was the majority of the texts we got in yesterday too. Yeah. Well, uh, I tend to um, lean towards the latter, frankly, um, because having seen where very uh, severe restrictions are imposed, um, you still end up with uh, dog attacks and people not, not following the, the legislation. I mean, there's a, a, a thing called breed-specific legislation, and you have a degree of it in Ireland with various breeds who are supposed to be muzzled and on a lead and so on when they're out. And yet you still have this, um, th- these attacks taking place. Um, now, when I've been engaged in animal welfare, <coughs> excuse me, abroad, I've come across various um, countries where um, these things are dealt with in a different way or, or more effectively. And one of the most effective systems I've seen in practice is how they operate in the city of Calgary in Canada, um, where they don't ban pit bulls, but they've got a very proactive um, system for managing the dog population to live alongside the, the, the public. I mean, Calgary has a population of about 1.2, 1.3 million people. Um, but frankly speaking, the, the animal system that they have there, they call it their animal services division, is um, very effective in helping to reduce down to an absolute minimum uh, dog attacks and, and issues with stray dogs and the like. How are they doing that? Well, um, it's been running for some years and it's been modified as they go along. But the entire system uh, is, is self-funding. And that'll probably be music to the ears of any councillors who are listening in. It costs about, um, well, first of all, they have um, a centre, a building, which uh, their staff operate from, who go out and pick up stray dogs or deal with uh, dog-related issues, Uh, all very sophisticated, computerised and all the rest of it. They also have a shelter operating, a city municipal shelter, uh, where dogs who are abused, neglected, abandoned and so on, are taken in and rehomed. And they have um, a spay and neuter facility within the centre where uh, the pets of people on low income who can't afford private vet fees can go and have their uh, animal neutered. Now, um, what um, funds all this is primarily a licensing system. Um, They also get funds from from fines and from rehoming animals that they've taken in. But the licensing system um, is is the key that uh, uh, underpins it. I mean, they spend $5 million plus uh, uh, Canadian dollars uh, on this annually, and it's very sophisticated the way the licensing system works. It's, uh, How much is a license there, then? Well, the last time I looked, it was around $70, $65, $70. Okay, compared uh, to here, which is about, what is it? I think it's 20. 19 something, yeah. Or 20, which is very low. Yeah. But it's not, they, they don't just have a one tier. That's the standard. Um, if your dog is not muted, that's what you, you'll pay. If you decide to have your, your animal spayed or neutered, 
it comes down considerably. It's about oh. 40 or thereabouts. So there's a, an incentive, first of all, to reduce the animal population because a lot of people are just laissez-faire about it and let the animal breed and then give the pups away or hand them in at a shelter or whatever. So they reduce that aspect uh, of the issue. They also have one uh, where it costs you several hundred dollars. If you have a problem dog, a dog that's been known to be aggressive, or in, uh, it, it certainly won't be a dog that's like we've just been talking about that's been involved, say, in the Wexford incident yeah. or with Anne-Marie, but a dog that nonetheless is classified as as being aggressive or has otherwise got behavioural problems, it'll cost you several hundred dollars if you want to keep him. Right. Um, so um, that is the, the, the main underpinning of, of how they do, they do things. And they it's don't, very clever. Well, it is, it is. But, I mean, it hasn't happened overnight. They've been running this for years and they've refined it. Um, I was, when I was... Um, more actively involved in animal welfare projects uh, abroad. I had regular contact with the man who was uh, the head of animal services in, in Calgary, a man called Bill Bruce, and a very enlightened guy and very progressive in his thinking. Uh, I mean, at one point he said to me that he was planning to introduce a cat licensing system. And <laughs> I thought, well, you know, Bill's obviously lost the plot now, <sighs> but he hasn't. They've now got a cat licensing system. Bill has retired. He retired a few years ago, and he's, he works as a consultant now. Um, but can you believe it? Uh, there was a huge um, a degree of opposition when it was first proposed. Uh, it was actually um, proposed before he joined. I think he joined Calgary Animal Services around the year 2000. And before he came along, the guy before him had proposed in producing... Uh, but it was op opposed vigorously by all sorts of animal welfare groups and activists and so on. But he revisited it, and he brought on board all these people who had op opposed it by saying that they were taking in at the Animal Services Center literally thousands of cats every year, and over 50%, 60% of them were having to be euthanized. So by having a regulatory system, where people were held more responsible for um, the cats they owned, and they weren't allowing them to breed out of control or abandoning them and mm -hmm. so on. Um, it um, uh, reduced, in the first or second year, the euthanasia of, of, um, of cats in, in the animal services center from about 50 60% down to about 15 Wow. So it worked. That's so incredible. that's another aspect of... Uh, the sophistication of the licensing system they've got. So, you yeah, know, the reason, I mean... the, the reason I'm, 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 I'm talking to you really is, is hoping that this will stimulate a wider debate, mm. uh, particularly within my beloved county of Tipperary, where I was born and brought up. And I, I hope that it will be given some consideration at a municipal level and at the county council level, where they'll come again and, and look at how these things can be uh, addressed in a more progressive and, and proactive way. James, it was a pleasure to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much for coming on with us. And you, just before I go, yeah. can I say um, hello to uh, 
family and friends in the lovely village of Terryglass, where I, I grew up. I had oh, intended, beautiful. I had it, yes, I know, I know. I was there in the summer and had a fantastic time. I had intended going at Christmas, but I can't, so um, I'd like to take this opportunity to send everybody early Christmas greetings, and though I won't be with you in person, I certainly will be in spirit. Lovely, James. Thanks so much. Happy Christmas to you. And you, and you. Take All the care. best. Thanks, James. Bye. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Some reaction from listeners in relation to that conversation with James. Molly says, when I lived in London, we had a pit bull. I had to chip, tattoo, spay and muzzle in all outdoor areas at all times. We treated our dog with love and respect. We never had one problem. The dog owners are the problem. Another listener says, I agree with that man. Owners are the problem, not the dogs. I have a Cocker Spaniel trained as a fire rescue dog. She's the most kind, caring dog ever. Uh, That's because of the way I handle her and the respect is shared jointly. Very interesting ideas there from James. He was coming off of what they do in Calgary. And it's essentially all pets are licensed, all of them. And it's much dearer than it is here, about 80 or $90, he said. But that cost reduces if the animal is spayed or neutered. Um, and if they're determined to be maybe a, a more dangerous breed, then you pay more for that. And all of that money then um, is given towards the running of shelters and spaying and neutering in that region. And it's a fantastic idea and I'm sure the, the people who do great work here like Gina Hetherington and Angie McGrath in, in Cashel would certainly welcome something like that. I'd love to get your views on it. 083-311-3311 or 1800 In relation to arming Gardaí, a listener says, Sean here and Nina, please don't arm the Gardaí. I think the gun culture among kids will be affected by the sight of guns on the rank and file Gardaí. It could propagate a society of arm carrying. What's the end game here? Is it a trip to USA madness? Spend the money on the body cameras, increase number and presence, and importantly, early and maybe continuous law, civic and social responsibility and education. Molly also says Gardaí can't, can't be armed because when faced with an emergency, a guard could go for the gun. Look at the situation with police in the US. Keep those texts coming in to us. News is next. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks for that, Pat. Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, I don't know if you saw it last night, but a statement was issued from CARE GAA Club and it was regarding media coverage of the South Tipperary Under-17B football final in recent days. 
Um, I'm just going to read it for you there this morning. It's quite lengthy, so stay with me. But here it goes. Care GA Club has serious concerns in relation to the media coverage of the South Tipperary Under-17B football final on Sunday, November 20th. The coverage in both local and national print and online media is incomplete, misleading and unbalanced as it does not provide the full picture of events that unfolded on the day. As a consequence of this, the Delaney family is deeply hurt and disappointed with how Tom has been betrayed. In addition, the parents and families of the other players on the team have been unfairly tarnished and the coverage reflects very badly on CARE Club. We believe this is unjustified, unwarranted and unsubstantiated. Firstly, the article implies the reason the game was abandoned was due to protests after Tom Delaney received a red card. No CARE player sub, mentor or supporter protested or entered the field of play after Tom received his card. The red card was warranted and is not being appealed. We do not condone any form of inappropriate physical, verbal or abusive behaviour on or off the field from any of our club members. Tom left the field of play and the mentors ensured he remained off the field and no other care player became involved after the incident. Secondly, the article makes no reference to the fact that two players were sent off, one from each team. Anyone reading the article and not present on the day would be led to believe there was only one red card issued at the time. In addition, Tom is named as the player sent off. We have serious concerns as to whether this is appropriate given the fact that he's a juvenile player. Finally, as a club, Care GAA wish to highlight an ongoing battle we face whenever we play a game of football or hurling. A group of our players are targeted due to their ethnicity. Care, as a club, prepare the boys for this verbal aggression as best we can but now feel the onus needs to be placed on all other clubs to ensure that their members, players, mentors and supporters are made aware that this is not acceptable in the home, on the street or on the field of play. That's from Care GA Club and a note at the end saying permission was granted by the Delaney family for Tom's name to be used in this statement. I'd love to get your views on that. It's a very strong statement. It was issued on, well, I saw it on their Twitter last night, got a huge reaction. And it would be a shame to see um, that it, you know, could it be true that Tom Delaney is being targeted at club games because of his ethnicity? That would be truly disturbing. Tom is a fantastic, um, um, fantastic, I suppose, What's the word I'm trying to look for? He's a great role model for GAA and Tipperary. I mean, his performances and mine are all through the year and I've seen him playing with his club. He's a phenomenal player and he's fantastic and he should be respected for how he plays and, and not targeted because of his ethnicity. And is that happening in Tipperary GAA? would love to get your views on it this morning. 83 now, moving on to a different topic now, a research project which saw a four-day working week being trialled across 12 businesses has been deemed a success by both the companies and employees involved. The project, backed by the trade union Forza and carried out in partnership by Four Day Week Ireland and UCD and Boston College, examined the financial, social and environmental impact that a four-day working week would have on businesses and also on employees. Karen O'Reilly of Employee Mom and Employee flex.ie joins me now for more on this. Karen, good morning. Good morning, Ali. 
this must be music to your ears, Karen. I know you've been uh, you've been really pushing for a four day week for I think longer before anyone else has. Yes, well, um, flexible work is what we're all about, really. Um, we set up as employee mum um, in 2016, and that was really about getting flexible work for for parents and for mums in the workplace. And we still we've since expanded to um, add employee flex to our offering, which is flexible work for everybody. Um, so we're delighted with this this news today. Do you are you finding now that people who are looking for jobs kind of are they're not afraid to say anymore? I want something that's flexible that can fit around my life, not something that that I have to fit my life around. Yeah, I suppose we're very careful to take into consideration the um, you know the company's um, bottom line as well. You know that's very important. It has to work for both the company, you know, the employer and the employee. And, you know, um, I suppose like since COVID, there definitely has been more, more companies are open to the conversation about flexible work and remote work and hybrid work. So there's definitely um, a, a change in attitude there. Um, but I suppose like being, being devil's advocate on, on the report today, um, you know, it's largely an academic research. Mm. And, you know, and I'm listening to, to it on, on the radio this morning. I was like, I, re- I kind of really feel for all the SMEs out there who who are struggling already with the energy bills and the cost of living crisis. And now this may be another um, hardship sure. for them yeah. as they, you know, they try to remain competitive in a, in a very, very difficult market. I, could, I can already hear the collective eye roll going on around the country, you know, <laughs> as, as a small business. They're like, how are we going to do this, you know? So it, it, is, it is fantastic, but it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And even though we would be advocates for flexible work and reduced hours, I would say, you know, SMEs are going to really struggle to absorb this, um, you know, and it is putting an extra bit of pressure on them, I say, listening to this this morning. And when you look at the results of the study, I mean, the results of it are, are quite stark. It's The reaction was universally positive 100% wanted to continue with the four day week workers reported an average increase in sleep time from 7.02 hours a night to 7.72 also time engaged in hobbies grew by 36 minutes a week on average Um, also particularly successful for women because they support a significantly greater improvement in life satisfaction larger gains in sleep and also feeling more secure in their employment so I think it probably had more wide-reaching um, positive outcomes than than maybe they were expecting. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, Ali. You know, I think women will definitely opt for this if, if it is on the table. And I suppose that is something that we need to be cognizant of and aware that, you know, it may lead to gender inequality, even though it is something that a lot of women would want in the, in the workplace. Um, not everybody will opt for it. Um, I know a Deloitte study has shown that when a four-day working week is available, Thirty um, percent of people will not offer. Well, not thirty percent are male. Right. You know. So um, again, will women, will men be getting the competitive advantage in the workplace? Will they be, you know, um, getting the advantage of proximity bias? Ah. So this is something that a company and an organisation will certainly have to take into account. Um, you know, people shouldn't be punished for taking the option. Um, to go for flexible work or reduced hours. That's something I hadn't considered, actually. If you have Mary, who's doing her four-day week, and then you have Jim beside her, mm-hmm. who's willing to come in the five days, will they look more kind of positively on Jim? Yeah, you know, that's uh, presenteeism is a dirty word in our books, you know, and that is something that companies will have to be really aware of in, in planning an equitable workplace and, you know, equitable um, reward system in, in, in their companies. 
what would you say to somebody now who's saying, I would love to approach my boss and maybe see if, if we can maybe think about doing a four-day week? What advice would you have for them in, in trying to broach that subject with their employer? Well, first of all, it's a great time to be negotiating flexible work because there is a talent shortage there. And um, again, there is that openness to flexible work that wasn't there pre-COVID, which is one of uh, one of the bonuses. Um, but I would, if I was going to my employer now, I would go with with the solution. Um, go with your ready-made solution for them. So um, show them that you have been able to work um, a reduced hours, possibly, and your productivity is not going to decline. Mm. And maybe suggest a um, a trial period. Um, of three months and see how it goes and then show them how it can work for that for that period. Okay, so the secret is not to go and say, I want a four-day week, make it happen. You have to, this is how it'll work and this is how I envisage it'll work for you and, and we'll do everything we can to make it work for everybody. Exactly. Okay. And if, you, if, you're, if your company can see that it's, it's, you know, it's good for the bottom line, if productivity is not going to be affected, if you're going to be a more happy and engaged employee, you know, it makes more sense for them to, to agree to this proposal. Do you think it's something we're going to start seeing in, in a lot of companies and businesses from here on out? Well, I can tell you from our side as um, a recruitment agency specialising in flexible work, the appetite is certainly there from the candidate side. Um, you know, so when we have job, when we advertise a full-time role, we get a trickle of applicants. And when we advertise something that's flexible or reduced hours, we get an avalanche of applicants. Okay. Uh, for example, we, we advertised um, a remote role there yesterday, fully remote role. And within two hours, we had 160 applicants. Wow. You know, so the appetite is there, you know. So what, as soon as employers start recognising this um, and and um, advertising it and being flexible, they, they, they're the people who are going to get the best talent out there. So it are, makes sense for them to embrace this, really, I suppose. Yeah. Our potential employees may be a bit suspicious when a role says remote because they think, oh, that they'll hook me in now with the remote line. But then they might say, oh, we'll need you to do maybe two or three days in the office. Well, in this particular case now, um, we're getting applicants from the, the company is in Limerick. Um, we're getting applicants from Donegal, from Anahees and Westcourt, you know, so it would be nearly impossible for them to go into work, you know, for two or three days a week. So, like some companies who are remote first um, will, will be genuine in their offering. Um, and, and hybrid then is hybrid work, you know, a few days in the office, a few days at home works for a lot of people yeah. too, you know, if they're, if geograph geography works for them, you know. Yeah. And it's um, so a good compromise. It is, yeah. And yeah. like a lot, a lot of employees want to go into the office for the social interaction as well, and the collaboration piece, and um, you know, getting to know your colleagues and and the social side, uh, going for drinks on a Friday and all that. There's, there's, that's very important as well. Karen, great to talk to you this morning. Anyone who's looking, maybe I know you have um, a few job roles on your site as well. If anyone's looking to look those up, where can they get them? Yeah, so our website is um, www.employflex.ie and we also have www.employmum.ie. Great, Karen. Great to talk to you this morning. All the best. Thank you. Thanks. That's Karen O'Reilly there from employmum.ie and also uh, employflex.ie. Just to bring you some text now, a listener says, when it comes to dogs, first thing I would say is no matter how much you love and trust your dog, Dogs cannot be trusted no matter how well trained they are. They will always be cautious around dogs, especially dogs you don't know. If you have a breed that requires a muzzle and if you are found outside with the dog, either without a muzzle or not under your control, then a dog warden needs to just take the dog from you. 
Now, in relation to the statement I read out from CareGA, which they issued, very strongly worded statement they issued last night, uh, some reaction to it this morning. A listener says, so proud of my club, CareGAA, for addressing the unfair coverage of a game and for highlighting the unfair treatment of certain care players. All we need is honest, fair and unbiased reporting. The media have a big responsibility in this area. So proud. Uh, another listener says, GA will never change. Unbelievable the abuse and sledging from the line and opposing players have been at a lot of underage rugby and soccer and haven't seen it happen there. No doubt the people involved shouted Tom Delaney on when he hurled so well for the tip minors earlier this year. Uh, another listener says, I think players are targeted because of their ability. If a player is exceptional, he or she is just going to be targeted until they crack. It's very hard on a young player not to crack. Keep those texts coming in to us. 83 311 We're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Huge reaction this morning to the CARE GAA uh, club statement. Just to bring you some of the texts we're getting on that, a listener says the statement from CARE GAA does not tell the full story about certain players' behaviour all through that game. That should also have been addressed. Uh, also, a listener says it's not the GAA organisation, it's the parents of players and also people who aren't parents who are just supporters of certain teams that hurl abuse at players and are racist towards uh, any player that is different in any way. It's very hurtful for the player and his or her family, but it's always been there back to when my own kids played Hurley and Camogie. I actually overheard other parents pass remarks about my kids because we lived in a council house. We weren't farmers or business people and they passed it on to their children. So if you're different in any way, you can be picked on. And I think that children's ability is affected by loudmouth people on the sidelines. Let us know what you think, 83 311 We'd love to talk to you, actually. I don't know, how are you? Did you keep your cool? Were you able to keep your cool in, in that circumstance? I know there's two episodes that come to, to my mind with me where a parent shouted at my child on the pitch and I was very tempted to go over, but I didn't because I'm a coward underneath it all. But I, I, I'm still cross over what, what they said. So I have great respect for people who can restrain themselves. I didn't restrain myself. I was just afraid. But let us know what you think. 83 Now, another big arc for us all this morning is this news that the Cabinet has signed off on plans to lift pay caps on the banking sector. Banks will also be allowed to pay bonuses of up to €20,000 a year. The restrictions were put in place after the financial crash, but will be unwound as the state continues to sell its stake in the bailed-out banks. One of our listeners, Mick, was in touch and he joins me on the line now to share his views. Mick, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? Um, I'm great, Mick. Why are you begrudging the poor old bankers a bit of a pay rise? <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at it. Uh, I, I just wondered, has this country uh, lost its collective bearables, for want of a better word? I mean, we had a, a bank bailout in 2008 that cost 
uh, a conservative estimation of 64 billion. Now, we'll be paying for that for the rest of our lives. And our children will be paying for it, and their children yes. will be paying for it. I, yeah, I know we got back a lot of it uh, through them and the whole lot. But uh, effectively, the banks are still owned by the government. Yeah. They're the major shareholders in the bank. Now, I'm looking back at 2008. Eugene Sheehy was the chief executive of AIB when the collapse came. He was on a salary of 2.4 million at the time. And subsequently, he went to the banking inquiry and he said, I know I was on a salary of 2.4 million, but you know, he said, I never looked for a pay rise. I mean, was he really serious? <laughs> he was really serious. Yeah. He's got two pay four million and he would have the cheek actually to grin and look for a pay rise. I mean, there's nobody in this country worth two pay four million. I don't care who they are. Well, now, Pascal Donoghue, while he, he kind of seemed a bit regretful about it and he accepted that, you know, the optics of this aren't great and he understands that with the climate that we're in, we're in a cost of living crisis and this doesn't look great. But he said in order to attract the people that we want to be running banks in this country, we have to offer more money than we're offering. Look, what would you say? In the name of God, what kind of talent do you need to, to attract people into a bank? What is a bank? It's, it's a, a place where people save or our people invest, and they give out the money uh, for as much interest as they can earn on it. Uh, and anyone that thinks that a bank is a social service, which we've tried to convince ourselves, and they were closing down banks all over the place, that they have a responsibility as a social service. Banks are not interested in, in, in a community or social services. They're interested in making money for their shareholders, whether that be the government or anybody else. They're not there to, to provide a social service. Is that why it's a bit maddening for them? The the way it's kind of being portrayed is, oh, why are you all begrudging? The, you know, the poor old workers at the front desk, they deserve a bit of a raise. And why would you begrudge that for them? But really, they're not the ones who really benefit from this at yeah, all. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do, do we really believe that the ordinary cashier inside the bank is going to be getting large bonuses? Yeah. I'll tell you who will get the large bonuses. Our top executives in the banks, they will cream it off like they always did. That's all they've done, all down through the years. And they will do it again and again and again. And that is the essence of, of uh, the way banks operate. They are not there to provide a social service. Uh, if they see a bank is, is uh, not adequate to their needs, they'll just close it. And they don't give a hoot about you, me, or anybody else, whether we have a social service or, or whether we have a banking service within a town or a village. They just do not give a damn. It's as simple as that. Whereas a credit union is based on, on the community, I suppose, and the members, you know, they're, they're a slightly different organisation, you know. Yeah, and the funny thing about it is most of the executives in these banks were still getting their bonuses anyway because it was part of their contract. Yeah, and uh, the, the fact is that, uh, uh, OK, if you don't uh, increase the big salaries for the executives, uh, bo- bonuses are not usually part of, of uh, normal uh, salaries, you know, the person like that uh, they find an excuse to pay a bonus. They say you earned it. It's, it's, not, it's not part of normal salary, if you want to put it like that, you know? Mm. So they'll, they'll find a way of giving these big bonuses to their, to their top officials, you know? Mick, what do you think is a fair salary for somebody in that position? Uh, 500,000. Right. Yeah. Half a fine a wage? Sorry? It's a fine wage. It's, it's, it's half a million quid. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't turn your nose up at it. No, and 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 uh, you you can see we'd have a big uh, 
had doubt after at the bust of the bag. Mm. And he went off to study at Trinity College afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing happens. Willie and is nothing happened. And there's nobody in jail to my knowledge. Not uh, yet anyway. And I, I don't well, think it's going to happen. I, Apart from drama in, 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 in uh, Anglo Irish Bank, but that was sticking out of my life what he was at, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Willie is on the line as well. Willie, good morning to you. Morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good, good to talk to you this morning, Willie. What do you think, Willie? Do you think they're deserving of this, this increase in this bonus? Well, look, probably not, Alison, but I think, you know, we have to have a more mature conversation about the whole thing than the usual knee-jerk reaction. Like, you know, anyone says a word about it or just pass the done or anyone else. If you, if you say you're in favour of it, it's nearly like you're saying you're in favour of drowning puppies. Like, you know, it's just it's just rhetoric and, and, and slogan-earing a lot of it. Like, I, I, I saw it there firsthand. And yeah, your immediate reaction is, geez, this is terrible. How can they do that? You know, but I think it's just, a, it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's the same knee-jerk reaction to everything. So you welcome it then? You, th- you think it's fair? It. I, I don't welcome it. I, and no descendant, the, the, the absolute gobdolls that were there 20 years ago. But look, at, there are people, we all know people who are working in banks. We all, there, there are our nieces, our nephews, our neighbours, this, that and the other. I mean, you're talking about punishing people who, who are graduates now and going into roles for, for stuff that went on 20 years ago by cowboys who have been shown the door long ago. I mean, there are roles in banks today that weren't even her tell of back then. I mean, the whole IT thing and the whole cyber security thing, like, it's massive. How do you recruit people who know about that? I mean, I take Mick's point of view there about, you know, it's, 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 he thinks it's all as simple as just the money came in the drawer and they gave it to someone else. I mean, it's moved beyond that. It is, honestly, it is as simple as that. Banks, it's banks are there. It's not money and they're led money. And, and they, they led people money on track of mortgages and were fined again and again billions of billions of euro for, for bad practices. And that's not so long ago. Like, that's only in the last couple of years. Yeah. You're right, Mick. You're right. That's, I mean, not, that's, that's, not, that's not going back 20 years. Yeah, you're right. And that kind of stuff, people should be serving jail time for it. There's no defending it. There's no defending any of that. But if you want someone, if you need IT specialists who can protect against the threat of cyber attacks and all the rest of it. How do you get them unless you can pay them? So, right, I, what's the appropriate salary then for an IT specialist? Two point five million. I, I don't not at all or anything like it. And there's nobody even talking about money. I mean, I, I think the last the last chief executive in 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 uh, what was her name? Francesca McDonough, I think her name was. She was on a salary of something like eight hundred thousand, I think. And and they had to break that. They had to get a special dispensation to break the cap to bring her in. But look at look at the facts. Like Bank of Ireland has been turned around. It has it has repaid every penny that was put into it and a two billion euro back to the taxpayer, not to the government or not to this into the entity, to the people. Two yeah, billion. It had to be turned around. It couldn't, been, it, couldn't have, it couldn't have been left the way it was. It had to. It had that's to have the whole point, Mick. That's the whole point. We do, like there's a there's a simplistic narrative here that. Oh, let them go to the wall. You can't. The country I never, would I never said that they should go we'd to the wall. Like, we'd be like Nigeria. We'd be like I, I wouldn't suggest that they go to the wall. But Willie, could I say to you, 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 I know you're saying that banks have turned it around, but young people will say to you now, it's it's almost impossible to try and get a mortgage from banks. So they it are is. kind of paying for it. It's very difficult to get a loan from a bank. It now. is, it is. And, and look, 
there's a lot of reasons for that, for Anna, or Alison, sorry, I'm not, and I'm not an expert in it by any means, but they, they were given out money hand over fist back in the day because it was linked to bonus. The more money you handed out, well, the better you were seen to be doing on paper. And people hadn't a hope of paying back. I mean, you had, you would, we've all heard the stories and people going in looking for whatever it was, 100 or 150,000, here's 200 for you, off with you. You know, it was gone to cowboy stuff. Well, Alison, do you think do you think that is not going to go back to that? If you start paying people bonuses for to give out money, they will start giving out money head over fist again, and there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with you, Mick. But look, at, I I'd far rather we had people who were competent, who were professional, who were responsible for what they're doing, and I don't care what we had to pay them as long as they fulfilled those criteria. So you'd be willing. So you'd be willing to pay uh, Eugene uh, Shee's farmer salary of two point four million. No, I make. certainly wouldn't. And there's nobody even talking about anything like that. The only, the only, yeah, the, only the, salary, the only CEO uh, cap that was lifted was on Bank of Ireland, which we no longer own or have any interest in, none whatsoever. The other two, the other ones are there away, and I think it is around. I think it is capped around five hundred thousand, which is a lot of money. Mm. It's a lot of money. Don't don't. There's no finding anyone throwing their head up and saying it's not. It's, it's a lot of money. Mick, would you have any concerns that if we're not offering big amounts of money, we're not going to attract the people that we need to to drive banking and to drive finance in this country? I, I know there was a former executive of. Uh, was it Bank of Ireland or AIB who left last year because of pay and he went to a financial company in the UK which paid him over two million. So he's yeah, not going say, to stay here I for mean, half a million. I mean, compare like with like, uh, the UK has a population of 60 million. We have a population of around five to five and a half million. I mean, how can you justify that as a country the size of us? You know what I mean? You, you just can't justify that kind of money. Well, look, Mick, I, I agree with you, but I'll take that point. One of, one of the best and brightest, I mean, if you follow some of the financial news and all that over the years, and I do, it's, it, it, I have an interest in it. One of the best and brightest we had here was a guy called Willie Walsh. He was the CEO yeah. of Aer Lingus. He left Aer Lingus because he was subject to this whole petty, you know, how much you get and how much you this, how much you that, your hands tied. He was headhunted to go to British Airways. And he ran British Airways as a massive success or 20 odd years after that. I think that's, that's the reality of it. If you're yeah, but, that, but that's what he's supposed to do. He's the chief executive. He's supposed to run it uh, in, in a profitable manner and in a, in a, and in a uh, how to say, financially uh, correct manner. But I suppose that's it takes a lot of skill to do that. You don't have to and wouldn't we, and wouldn't we be better off if he, had, if he was left to run Aer Lingus in that manner? But you don't have, have to get two and a half million to run it, you know? I'm not talking about that kind of money. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't the country be better off if he had been left to run Aer Lingus without his hands tied by begrudgery and everyone looking over the shoulder and every political? I don't. I don't begrudgery. I don't use begrudgery to, to expect a guy to have a, a reasonable uh, salary uh, paid. Let me say, paid for by the taxpayer. It's not paid for by the taxpayer. It's paid for by the company. It's well, well, the major shareholder, the major shareholder, DIB, Bank of Ireland, and the rest of uh, uh, and uh, PTSB is the government. They're, yes, the they're not paying the salary, mate. The company paying the salary. The company's paying the salary, not the. I know the company's paying the salary, but but the major shareholder is the minister for finance. And the, and the minister of finance isn't writing any check to anyone to pay the salary. The company is paying the salary. Yeah, but he's dictating the policy of it. He's not. Not, of he not is. even remotely. Not even remotely. 
Yes, of course. I mean, we, have, we, have, we have this complete disconnect. We think we have a public sector man on the board or something. He can dictate. He can't. It's, it's, it's pure window dressing. It's window dressing for, for the optics of it. That's all it is. Yeah, but sure, this is a little, uh, these are little goodies provided by the outgoing Minister for Finance, uh, Pascal Donovan, as far as I can see. Well, sure, look, at we, we had Alan, we, we had, we had Alan Jukes was on the news, or Dick Spring, sorry. Dick Spring was the public sector representative on, on Aircom Longo. When Aircom oh, God help us. God help us. Yeah. And, he, and he was farcical. He came out on some statement when he was asked why he, why he hadn't bought air share himself, and he, and he was caught. Oh, I had no money, he said. I had no money. That's the answer he gave I couldn't afford to buy a share yeah. of Aircom. Mm-hmm. You know, this, we have some notion that God, there's one person on the board or, or we have some few shareholders that we are able to dictate. We're not. We're not. They're commercial entities. That's yeah, it. Sure, we know they're commercial entities and we know that they're not there to provide a social service. And mm-hmm. people, people, people try to convince themselves when, when, when they were closing their banks and villages and towns that AIB and Bank of Ireland were providing social service. They provide the banking service, but certainly not provide yeah, the social service. It is more than that, though. Mick and Willie, I'm going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid, yeah. but thank, I don't think we're going to reach agreement between the two of you at all, are we? <laughs> it's a mature conversation, and people have Absolutely. to have a mature conversation. Yeah, we're, 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 we're going to have a duel tomorrow morning. I can't <laughs> wait. We'll book you in yeah. so we get it for tomorrow. We'll see what tomorrow's topic is. Willie and Mick, thank you Hello. so much. Right. All the best. Right. Uh, just to bring you some reaction, Tom and Thurlis says there are many hundreds of skilled voluntary directors giving years of service to credit unions and they're prevented by law from being rewarded with anything more than a small gift. Uh, also, Councillor Jimmy Morris was on to us saying it's not the bonus payments, it's what the bonus payments are for. The last economic crash was caused by bankers chasing bonuses for handing out mortgages to people who couldn't pay them. They lost the run of themselves giving 120% mortgage offers. They even sold their own bank buildings to get in more cash to give out. Another listener says this opinion and discussion on the banking salary is pub talk. What do the general public actually know about what it takes to run a bank or what their salaries should be compared to. Let us know what you think. 083 311 We're back after this. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back to Tip Today. Still a lot of texts coming in in relation to that statement that was issued by Care GAA last night. Just bring you a couple of them. A listener says, I think Care GAA Club have resurrected the issue that was basically forgotten about. In their statement, they failed to mention that the match was abandoned. Why was it abandoned? I'm sure when the county board have finished their investigation, we'll hear more about it. Uh, Young Delaney is a lovely hurler. I wish him well, but this is more than about him. Someone is accountable for what happened. Another listener says, I was at the match. I don't think the statement from Care GAA is a true reflection of what actually happened. And Care GAA are well aware of the full details of what issue caused the match to be called off. And the timing of their statement 10 days after the incident leaves more questions than answers considering both teams have to play again tomorrow evening. That's just some of what we've been getting in. Keep those texts coming in to us 083 311 or 1800 Now we're starting to, kind of, some of us anyway, starting to get into the Christmas spirit a bit now with decorations up in many houses. And it kind of kicks off a lot of our traditions, which of course vary from house to house and family to family. 
But we wanted to look at some of the old and maybe forgotten about or at least evolved traditions around Christmas here in Ireland. And who better to talk to about that than folklorist and storyteller Michael Fortune, who joins me now. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. It's our pleasure. Thanks for chatting to us. I suppose for, you know, this far back from Christmas, one of the big traditions is the Christmas cake. I know in most houses it's done by now, but where does that tradition come from? God, no, you've put me on the spot here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I suppose the idea of eating, eating um, a kind of a cake or a brack or eating, having a food but prior to a, a big feast day or a big kind of turnover day has always been there, whether it's called Cannon or the Barn Bracks at Halloween or whether it's even, you know, Poundies at, at, on St. Bridges Day. Um, so it's, it's, it's coming from that, the idea of feasting, I suppose. Um, it's, a very, it's a very simple fr- fruit cake. People would make it. People would even, you know, I, I'd be even talking to people these days and they'd say they still store it, you know, if yeah. anyone and remembers making it if there was a child in the house they'd have to put her hand to, the, hand to it to give it a little bit of look um, now some people have, have them well made more people don't but yeah the idea of of, of, um, of, of having food, food, food for Christmas was, was the big thing but it's funny I was up in Ross Cray about, about two weeks ago and I sat down I was interviewing two women and I spent 50 minutes talking to them and I never left Christmas and they, they talked to me about the food that they had for Christmas like we, we forget sometimes we're so used to seeing the images of Christmas now like with the Christmas trees and the snow and you know the, not even yeah. the hallmark images like here I, I'm here in rural county Wexford and they never had a Christmas tree they said they would never had a Christmas tree they could get a bit of holly and ivy that's what they had and these women were probably 1940s 50s that period growing up and that's a story you'll, you'll be surprised to hear that you know yeah. um, and then they, they spoke about the food that they have you know and again like my own mother my mother and grandmother here at home they were cooking on the open fire and the women were saying the exact same they said they'd have a goose if they were lucky and they might have potato or turnip and that'd be it that'd, and you know and it'd be cooked on the open fire in the bake pan oh. um, and that, that wasn't long ago Alison in the scheme of yeah. things it wasn't long ago you know so, so when did the turkey become a thing then? It seems that, like it seems that it, it, it was there. Like I, like I, I, I see it cropping up in in like you see photographs and videos and things from the late eighteen hundreds. Sorry, photographs from the late eighteen hundreds from Waterford and places like that in the nineteen twenties and thirties. But most people didn't. I think that was, again one of, was one of those imports. A lot of our, our Christmas traditions are imported. Like the Christmas mm-hmm. tree was imported. It would have been there, things move around the world in different ways. I think it went over with the Germans over to America and America and back to England and England via here then. Um, so the turkey wasn't all wasn't always there but mind you a lot of people would say that there was a, it was a great way for in particular women to make money um, that did rare geese did rare, and did rare turkeys and that um, did have to sell them for Christmas was pin, pin money they called it so there was a, it was definitely was a, was a it was a thing in the 40s and 50s but I suppose we have so much now compared to what our own grandparents and, Roman, and sometimes our own parents would have had in, in their day you know mm. I remember and people would talk about older people would talk about the joy of getting an orange on Christmas Day because it was such a rarity. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, and it was. Do you know that? And you'd be kind of remember as children, you'd be kind of sniggering at your own parents talking about this kind of stuff. But it was. It was, it was such such a big thing. It's always lovely as well, even to uh, even when you're listening to people talking about how they even what, how they even um, wrote their, their, their little letters to Santa. You know, even things like that. You know, and we because I'm always interested because I'm interested in folklore and I'm interested in how we do things. And sometimes we we do something and we think everyone else does the same. So you know, some people would say they'd write their letter to Santa 
county and they'd write their letter to Lasford or Orange or wherever their little tie and they'd post it. More of them um, uh, burnt it. More of them left it in a, in a shoe outside. So there were different ways in which to get your message to Sandy. Um, but it was lo- lovely. So there's loads. Of, there's loads. There's, it's a really rich territory, you know. But sometimes we kind of we we, we have this blanket notion of what Christmas was like. But it was it was very different. And I'd love you maybe some of the listeners even chat to the older people around you, um, and just get that get that picture of where where you grew up and how you did things. I remember up in Mayo years ago recording these women and we all have a Christmas dinner on Christmas Day and which we all assume everyone else does. Yeah. But the mainland Europeans have it on Christmas Eve that night and um, the women in this one part of Mayo, East Mayo, they said no, they always had their Christmas, their, their kind of main meal they sat down that evening and any little presents that they had they gifted them that night um, which is very, it's, it's really unusual how yeah. it came, came to Mayo but um, so we we, 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 yeah, we, we we do things differently but we all we all think we do things the same you know that kind of way. I think one thing people really really miss though is the midnight mass the real midnight mass which isn't really midnight mass anymore when did that kind of stop it kind of stopped and I'm sure listeners here again here in Wexford we always had stories of fellows who were coming in from the pub and falling asleep in the crib and that's one of those classic stories that's <laughs> done around in every, every, every village in the, in the country it's got Amanda, Amanda Barty that fell asleep there I think that was one of the reasons they said I've got I'm I'm trying to remember myself. So I, I'm, I'm guessing 70s, 80s here. Yeah. Right? I was born in 75. Um, a lot of people talk about that, the magic of that. A lot of people would talk as well about the magic of that morning, actually. Well, it was magic. It was, it was, it was a bit of hardship as well, mind you. The one of the women up on Ross Grey the other day was telling me, she was saying that she used to get up and they'd go at 8 o'clock mass. So they'd be getting up in the dark and they'd be getting ready for mass and they wouldn't be able to eat because they'd be fasting for Holy Communion. And they'd walk maybe the mile up to mass to greet their neighbours on the road and they'd be wishing each other happy Christmas. And sure, mass could be an hour and put me home till half nine, quarter to ten. And then the mother then, who, who'd be doing most of the work, would be getting the goose on and getting the fire. She'd leave a good fire set before she was going to mass. Um, and then they'd probably have dinner then, two or three o'clock, you know. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't know when. I, I, I think there's some places that still do midnight mass. Um, but it did, it did fade away. When the classic story we always heard was the, the fellas drinking in the pub's closet. But I, I, I remember even as a, even when I was in my early 20s, when you'd be going back home to the home village, you know, I actually always liked Christmas Eve because you'd actually go in for, I wouldn't be going to pub very often, but even when you see your neighbours, you know, that kind of way, neighbours yeah, come out, come out from that. Yeah. They would, yeah. It'd be always a great chance, a great chance for the community to, to catch up and to talk and to, and to meet up again. Yeah, I guess, exactly, exactly. People would be home. God, it, we're really spoiled now, aren't we, when it comes to Christmas and the luxuries we have now compared to what they had before. Oh, completely, yeah. I remember my poor old father telling me that we're lucky if they had half a pig's head for a Christmas dinner, and that's yeah. the truth, you know. Um, and you can see why people went out, you know, again, talking to one, one of the women from Shinron the other day, and how people, you, you, you can understand why people went out hunting the ran. And it was always a chance for it to go out to get maybe a little bit of food or call to the neighbour's house to get a few coins or get, you know, for those who might be as well off, you know, there was a social side to it too, but it was also a side of it, you know, the exact same as Halloween, the idea of dressing up and going calling out was, you went out to get something, you know, that kind of way, it was a kind of a little bit of a bit, bit of a barter between neighbours and there was a bit of entertainment, um, you know, so we do, we, we, I think sometimes we need to pinch ourselves sometimes, I know we're lucky and I know a lot of people aren't in the same position, but, you know, we, if we just step back to like only, only 56, 70 years ago, 56 years ago totally different yeah Michael can I ask you before I let you go I know you have the Irish dresser and folklore calendar out again this year is this what what year is it year three 
Yeah, year three, and yeah. I've, been, I've done with you yourselves and Fran before. So it's, actually, it's, a, it's a lovely, it's a project that worked with the, the, the Arts Office and Tipperary County Council have supported over the years. So I've been going around documenting old dressers on people's homes and yards and sheds. And this year there's a dresser from Bally William and outside Nina Innes, a David Ryan's dresser. And it's basically a selection of dressers each month and the stories behind them. But one thing I've done, Alison, is every month I've penciled in about 140 little folklore dates. That's so brilliant. if you go to December, I'm literally looking at it right now, it'll tell you things like, don't forget to take a piece of straw from the crib or, you know, put, don't, don't tell you to put, take down your Christmas decorations or all little folklore little folklore dates and little little anecdotes like that. So they're all there. Um, and if you want to get a copy of it, you can get it actually in, in Ryan's, the bookshop in Nina's one place, and the only place in the prairie that I have to sell it physically. Or if not, then you can get it on the dresserproject.ie or folklore.ie. So you, you'll get it there and I'll, I'll ship it to you. It'll be the next day it'll, you'll get to you. Great, Michael. Thanks so much for telling us about it. Best of luck with it and happy Christmas. Yeah, same to you. Can I, Alison, can I mention yeah, one thing? Just before you go, if, for those of you who, who, who I just finished a lovely collection of, uh, of uh, films down below with the, the Museum of Hidden History down in Clonmel, so I can't believe you without saying that. So it's a great exhibition on the Civil War in Tipperary, and I had the privilege of being up and recording the stories around County Tipperary, from South Tipperary to Mid Tipperary and North Tipperary. So that's on the, there are all those little films are on display. If you want to listen to some of those interviews down below in the in in the museum in Clonmel. So I had to get that in. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much for that, Michael. Thanks, Thanks Alison. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, that's Michael Fortune there with Christmas Folklore. We're getting some in this morning. I'd love to hear more from it. Sarah says, Midnight Mass is still in Nina. And happy Christmas to all the listeners. Are we allowed to say it, Sarah? It's not even December yet. Well, but look, we'll chance it and see what the reaction is. 083 311 or 1800 uh, Just the final few texts, I think, maybe on the CARE statement. Still a lot of texts coming in. Um, one listener says, I was at that match. The statement doesn't seem to be a full reflection of what happened on the day. There's many key facts missing. Also, another listener says, I was at the 17 match myself and Kerr should also highlight exactly why the player was sent off and what happened after he was sent off. Um, that sort of behaviour is not acceptable, particularly from players who purport to be all-stars. Uh, let us know. We, we might put it to bed after this, but let us know if you want to add your voice to it. 83 311 We're back with news after this. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. I said I was putting to bed the uh, CARE GA statement, but there's still a lot of text coming in on it. So just to bring you a couple, because uh, I don't want to silence anybody, but a listener says just a quick text on the match. The statement from CARE GAA says the Delaney family are very upset. My question is, how upset do they think the family of other players are um, who were injured on the day for no reason whatsoever. There there were other families involved and are also hurt in this and they should also be mentioned. Another listener says, on the other side of it, says that her real problem is that there is no regard for safeguarding and protection policy and that players' names should not have been released as he is a minor. 
And I, I look, I suppose maybe to play devil's advocate, the, the reason his name was given is because he is such a high profile player. Um, and you, I think you would have that in, in a lot of those kind of situations if it is a player with um, a profile or that's well known, they would tend to be mentioned more than, than maybe the unknown club player, but that's probably why. Uh, our phone lines are open, 1800 938 or 0833-311-3311. Now, every fortnight around this time, we're going to speak with the Gardaí to keep us up to date about what's going on around the county. Sergeant in charge of Clonmel Garda Station, Margaret Kelly, joins me now. Margaret, good morning. Morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, Margaret. We're starting off with a, a good news story. Santa's coming to care this weekend. I know, I suppose it is the season for it. I'm I'm fighting it now. I'm I'm not putting up my Christmas tree until December, but Santa yeah, me Claus, too. Yeah. <laughs> he's coming to care on the third of December and a large crowd will be expected there in care on Saturday around the square from approximately five till about nine PM. There'll be a parade of tractors will leave Cashel at four PM coming into care along the Mitchellstown Road into the square and Care Gardaí would like people to be safe around the event obviously and be aware that there will be a lot of children and traffic around the town so if you're passing through uh, come into the town and take part in the event but do so in a safe way. Saturday is actually also the UN International Day of Persons with Disabilities and Care Garda Station will also acknowledge that on the day. Okay, Margaret, could I ask as well what parking arrangements are in place for that event in care? They will have areas marked out that they won't be allowed parking but the usual car parks will be open and um, look, I suppose it will be it will be flagged. There will be plenty of guardy there to assist. Okay, excellent. Um, of course, with uh, Christmas shopping season now underway, there's a warning as well. People just be mindful of potential fraud. That's right. We understand that a lot of people. Um, will be spending a lot of money and shopping is well underway. A lot of that is taking place online and we're urging people to be cautious with clicking on links that appear in messages. Just make sure that you're using reputable sites, especially if you're sharing your bank information or personal details. A recent scam involving a person who was selling items online, they received a text message from what they thought was a courier company looking to arrange collection, but they were also looking for bank details. And the person was advised to contact the, the true courier company and it was confirmed that it was a scam. So there's a lot of messages going around, especially around delivery. So just be careful transferring your information. Okay, and of course they're getting more creative with scams now, isn't it? So just to be doubly sure. That's right. Be cautious and always take the time to check before you're sharing your bank details that it is a reputable site because a lot of these sites also can look very genuine. Mm. Uh, safety warning as well for people out walking it's getting darker of course so make sure you're you're seen that's right so um, high vis jackets they're a must really when out walking whether it's just a stroll in the evening or going for a run or a quick errand we're asking people it does make a huge difference um, in their safety especially for pedestrians also for their cars it's the time of the year it's super dark, really early, and we're asking you to check your lights on your cars regularly. Quite a few cars have been stopped recently with one or maybe a number of lamps gone, headlamps gone, and we're asking people to take that time and check them out uh, before they're travelling in the dark.
Okay, to Tiptown now, you had a good response to your property marking event. That's right. So between the 9th and the 14th November, Gardaí from Tiptown invited farmers and local residents of the Tiptown district to make contact with the Garda station if they had items of property that they required for property marking. This was advertised on our Garda social media page. It was a, There was a huge response to the service. And they reckon that over 250 items of property was marked with people's individual air codes. And this allows us to trace items of property more effectively if it's recovered should the item be stolen. So participants were encouraged to download and catalogue their items of property on the recently launched Ungardashikon app which was rolled out this year at the Ploughing Championships and and that's available for anyone to do. So given the response to this initiative, it's planned to conduct more days of property marking throughout the remainder of 2022 and indeed into next year. That's great. Staying in Tiptown now, unfortunately there's been some thefts from cars recently. That's right. The Guardian in Tiptown are investigating a number of thefts from cars and really it's kind of the 27, 28, 29th and in total they had 10 thefts from cars in the Tiptown area and that's all estates around the town and in, in the in the general area of Tiptown. The public are asked to ensure that all vehicles are locked no valuables are left while unattended and anybody who saw anything suspicious in those in estates in around Tiptown to contact their local guardy there. Okay, you're also investigating a criminal damage incident in Tiptown. That's right, and this time it was in the Lakelands area of Tiptown between 9pm on the 17th and 2.30pm on the 18th November where an item was thrown at a window damaging it. Anybody who may have seen anything suspicious is also asked to contact the Gardaí in Tiptown. A reminder as well for owners of firearms. That's right. So uh, generally speaking, the winter is a busier time for firearms renewals. And we would remind the owners of firearms to ensure that they license same before the license expires. All firearms holders will have been contacted via post with the forms. And we would ask them to submit them to the local guard station early enough that it can be processed. So there's no delay in the issuing of same. Okay, we're going to the north of the county now and to Nina, where Gardaí are investigating an assault. That's right. So the Gardaí were investigating a very serious assault there that occurred in the town on the evening of the 10th of November. They have uh, made an arrest and they want the public to be aware that on the 13th of this month, a man in his 30s was arrested and he was charged with assault in relation to that crime. Okay, success as well in a drug search there, Nina. That's right, their divisional drugs unit there had some success. A search was carried out in Nina on the 25th of November and over €6,000 worth of suspected cocaine, which is subject to analysis, was discovered. One male was arrested and later charged with the drug offences. Okay, a warning to homeowners as well following a couple of burglaries in Nina. That's right. So this is an appeal really for a number of burglaries. The first was on the 10th of November. A burglary occurred in Quilla Veja 
I'm sure I've pronounced that incorrectly. Um, the Krilaveha in Nina at approximately 11pm, two male suspects were involved. Guardia requesting that members of the public be vigilant this time of year and report anything that they see as suspicious. They're investigating a burglary that occurred in Thoman Place in the early hours of the 28th of November. A male entered the property but fled on being disturbed. They're examining CCTV in the area and appealing for witnesses. They're also investigating a burglary that occurred in Thoman Place in Nina on the 28th of November between 5 and 6 p.m. It's hoped that CCTV will prove helpful in solving this crime. A number of cars as well stolen in Nina. That's uh, that's right, and it's it's something that you don't see that much of. Yeah. But a number of cars were stolen in the last few days in the Nina district. On the 25th of the 11th, a car was stolen in Newport. This was later recovered. On the 26th of the 11th, a car was stolen on Kenyon Street at approximately 9 p.m. And this is a white Peugeot partner van. 10 Donegal is the registration and that still hasn't been recovered. We'd ask your listeners to be vigilant there. An attempt was made to steal a motorbike near McDonough Street in Nina at around 6pm on the same date. A guardie are appealing for witnesses in relation to those incidents. As well as that, a number of cars broken into as well in the area. That's right. It's it's kind of a, a bit of a run on these at the moment. Six cars were broken into across Nina District in the last number of days. Uh, three cars were broken into on the 28th, the 11th at various locations around Nina Town. Guardia are reminding members of the public to be vigilant of these types of opportunistic crimes. On the night of the 24th into the 25th of November, a car was entered at Four Roads, Kilmastulla in Newport and items were stolen from that car. Unfortunately, catalytic converters were stolen from a car in Ballanderry Road in Barsacane in the early hours of the 11th of November and two further break-ins to cars occurred in Rosgray in around the 16th of November. Gardaí and Rosgray investigating criminal damage. That's right. So an incident of criminal damage occurred on the 9th of November at Tesco's car park, car park when at approximately 10pm a fire alarm was pulled from a wall. In a further incident of criminal damage, a window of a property was smashed in Mill Street in Barsacane sometime between the 12th of November and the 26th of November. And we're asking if anybody has any information around those criminal damage incidents to give us a ring. Tools are also a target for, for thieves lately, aren't they? That's right. A number of tools were stolen from a shed in Loch Brackill Common between the 24th into the 25th of November. Um, as you can imagine, somebody's livelihood there, but these items are only stolen because there's a market for them. And we would ask t- um, the listeners, just please to buy your tools and machinery from reputable people. Okay, we're heading to Thurlis District and more car thefts in Templemore. That's right, and in this case now there was an arrest made. The Guardian Templemore are investigating a number of thefts from cars in Templemore area on the evening of Sunday, the 20th of November. At approximately 10.30pm, they received a report of a man breaking into cars in the town and an arrest was made and a young man was questioned in relation to all of those three thefts from cars. Okay, Thurlis Gardy also appealing for witnesses to a burglary. That's right, they're appealing for witnesses into an investigation they're carrying out 
from the 9th of November. That was a Wednesday evening between 8 and 9 p.m. Specifically, Gardaí are interested in speaking to anybody who may have seen a group of males on the Dublin Road in Thurles acting suspiciously to make contact with them. Nothing was stolen in this burglary, but a garage was entered and it is being treated as a burglary. Okay, Gardaí and Thurlis also investigating damage to a car in Holy Cross. That's right. Um, there was damage done to a parked car at a car park in Holy Cross on the 20th of November. The car was only left unattended for a short period of time that date and the window was smashed and it, I presume in an attempt to steal something from the car. There was nothing stolen but the windows were damaged there. To Killinall now, a strange theft in Killinall. Unfortunately, I suppose, Alison, it's it's probably um, it's not that strange to us, but the Guardian investigating in Killinall the theft of a number of horse rugs, and from time to time, and especially over the winter, when these horse rugs, um, you know, I suppose there's owners there with the welfare of their own horses, put the horse rugs on. There was a number of them stolen from a stud in Ballynanty area. The theft occurred overnight, the 26th into the 27th. And the cost of replacing these items for the owner is nearly €800. Euros. Mm. Anyone for information is asked to contact the guardian, Thurlis, please. OK, we're staying in Killinall now for the next one. That's right. A machine parked in a field overnight, the 27th into the 28th of November, was tampered with and diesel to the value of €300 Euros was stolen from that. Okay, we're back down south now to Clonmel and a crime prevention initiative in Clonmel at the showgrounds. That's right. So at the weekend there, Clonmel Community Policing Unit held a crime prevention initiative at the showgrounds shopping centre in Clonmel and shoppers young and not so young were met and advice was given around personal safety and crime prevention advice for people's homes was given, especially for over the darker evenings and the winter period. Um... I suppose we'd also like to take an opportunity to thank the community in Mullinahone for supporting the commemoration mass to mark the 100th anniversary of the death of Garda Henry Phelan on Monday the 14th of November. It was a lovely occasion. Mm -hmm. The Garda Band, the ceremonial unit and members past and present who had been stationed in Clamell District marched from the church in Mullinahone down to the Garda station where Deputy Commissioner Anne-Marie McMahon unveiled a monument to Garda Henry Phelan which is lovely and I'd encourage any to go and see it. Uh, wreaths were also laid and many of the locals turned out, including children from the local schools were in, in attendance for the historic occasion. Yeah, it was a lovely event. Uh, we're in Clamell now for a number of incidents in the poppy fields. So on Wednesday last, the 23rd of November, Guardian Clamell carried out an extensive patrol of the poppy fields following the report of an attempted theft from an MPV or a car, should I say. Guardian arrested two men who were detained and questioned in relation to the theft of a mobile phone from a parked car. One of the men was held over for court uh, where he was charged with the theft-related offences. Also under investigation by Gardaí and Clonmel, these two tragedies on the roads in recent weeks. That's right. I suppose it's with regret that we talk about fatal road traffic accidents and we have two fatal road traffic collisions occurred within the district in the last number of weeks since the 13th November. The first one being on the 13th November in Carrick-on-Shore 
where a local man, a pedestrian, lost his life in the Townspark area of Carrick on Shore when he was in collision with a car. The second on the 21st of November at Lisrona Clonmel where a motorcyclist and a truck were involved in collision and the motorcyclist sadly passed away. The Guardian Clonmel are appealing for any witnesses to either of those two accidents um, if they haven't been identified as witnesses to date, to contact us, please. Okay, and more thefts of catalytic converters in Clonmel. Yeah, so it's not just Nina, unfortunately, um, be, be it north or be it south. The Guardian Clonmel are seeking the listeners' um, assistance in relation to the most recent increase in the theft of catalytic converters in the Clonmel area. They're appealing for witnesses who have may noticed anything suspicious or any persons or vehicles out of place in and around the Glencara and the Gracefield Estates during the early hours of Friday the 18th of November. Asking them to give us a call here at Clonmel Garda Station, please. OK, we're going to Carrick and Shore now and a theft from collection boxes. That's right. Um, between the 27th and the 28th of November, Money was taken from collection boxes in the church in St. Mullins in Carrick Beg in Carrick and Shore. We're asking anybody if they saw anything to give us a call either Carrick and Shore or here in Clonmel. Okay, staying in Carrick then, another theft from a parked car. That's right. So vigilance is also required. Um, we had an opportunity, an opportunistic theft of a bag from a parked car, which was a grey saloon car, which was parked at the Greystone Street in Carrick on Shore on Saturday the 26th. That's just Saturday gone by. And that was 8.45 a.m., between 8.45 and 9.30. This car wasn't locked and the bag was stolen from it. We're carrying out an investigation there. Okay, finally, Margaret, I suppose with a festive season underway and Christmas parties in full swing, you'd be appealing to people just to take care this holiday season? Specifically, we'd ask that you'd go enjoy yourself over the festive season. I suppose it's a good few years since people have been able to do that, but we're asking people to make arrangements to get home from a night out. Since we last spoke on the radio, the Guardian Clamel have made six arrests from, for intoxicated driving where drink and in a large number of cases, drugs were a factor in the arrests. OK, Margaret, as always, thank you so much for the update. Thank you, Alison. All the best. Thank you. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Great text in from Pat in Ross Gray. He says, on the news there, we heard that Minister O'Brien stated the government has a legal obligation to house Ukrainian refugees. Would that statement imply there is no legal obligation to house Irish homeless people? Or is our constitution being ignored? You can text us 083 311 Or Emma is standing by on the phones 1800 now, cuffing season, it's a term based on the idea of getting handcuffed or tied down to one partner. And it's said to be a popular dating trend, especially during winter months. But why do people do it? Frances Kelleher is our dating and relationship expert. She joins me on the line now. Frances, good morning. 
Alison, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for talking to us, Francis. Could you tell us what is coughing? Yes, so coughing is, it's back to like hand coughing. It's short for hand coughing. So effectively what it means is, you know, people want to be with people during the winter months. So they lock them down, like coughing them. They get into a relationship just for those winter months. So it starts around like the end of October, start of November. And the coughing season then ends like it's normally around Valentine's Day. They, it ends. So it's just that people want that person to spend the, the cold, lonely nights with. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and they want that connection during that winter season. So it, it's short for handcuffing, really, that you're you know, locking this person onto you and you're getting into a relationship, maybe not for the right reasons, you know. So Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because if, you, if you're going into a relationship with under the understanding that this is just for the winter, you mustn't be that interested in the person. Yes, like it can be a danger zone then when, you know, one person wants the relationship and they're all for a serious relationship and the other person is only coughing them. Mm. They're only, like, for want of a better word, using the person to get through, you know, the winter season. So it can cause problems. But, you know, I would be forgiving as well, Alison, because, you know, us humans, we're, we're pack animals for all the world. And in the cold, I mean, research has actually shown that the coldness, the cold weather, makes people more lonely. So there's a change in mood connected with two chemicals in our body, melatonin and serotonin. So, you know, they they drop in, in the cold weather and it makes people want to reach out more and look for that connection. So there is kind of a physical need and want going on as well. It's not just people being selfish, as it were. And are both people going into it with the understanding that this is just short term? Sometimes not, and this is where the danger can lie. So I would advise people during coughing season to watch out for the signs, first of all, of it just being coughing. And numbers, which are, I, I, I can go through them, is the person isn't emotionally available. So it's all short, short-term plans. It's all superficial conversations. There's no real depth to the relationship and they're not talking about future plans with you so they're not planning a long you know term relationship that that's a big warning sign it's all just you know the holiday season and where we're going to this party and where we're going to that party and you know it's the events people want people to go to events with as well because there's a social pressure too Alison to have you know a partner for these family events and dinners and Christmases you know a a time where those events are going on. So that's what I would say first. And number two, you know, assert yourself. I always say this early on in any relationship, this goes um, as, as blanket advice for all the world. You know, say what you're looking for early on in the relationship. I'm talking about four or five dates. The first three dates are to have fun. They're for three things, to have fun, to get to know the person naturally and to see is there a genuine connection. And after that then, you know, 4.50, you should assert yourself and what you want to say. I'm looking for this. I don't know whether you're looking for that too. Are you? And at least then you know where you stand. Could you be accused then though of rushing it? If you're saying, this is what I want now. I want us to get married in five years and I want to have children within 10 years and, and this is what I want. And you, I picture you there. Are you, are you in or not? Good question. No, because, you know, you're not saying to them as an ultimatum, you're asserting yourself with what you want. So you can say, you know, for all the world, word for word, 
you know, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. I'm looking for something serious. I want to get married and have children down the line. You know, it doesn't have to be tomorrow. You can say that. But that is what I want. And if we're not on the same page, really, you know, I think we'd be wasting each other's time. And the person has a choice to say, you know what, I respect that. Your honesty, that's actually not what I want. I never want to get married. I love my free life. So, you know, thanks very much. And I wish you all the best. And that is normally what happens. Or the person says, yeah, I want that too. Let's see how it goes. You know, you're not asking to get married tomorrow. You're just saying, this is the vision for my life, for all the world. And, you know, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to start myself. Because to be honest, Alison, I have seen people that have dated people for even five and six years. And they've sat down and had the conversation or they're giving the hints and the other person isn't getting the hint that they want to get married or whatever. And... It's been a waste of five or six years of life of their lives. Yeah. The person has come back and said, "You know, I don't want that at all. I didn't know you wanted that. I don't want that." And you've wasted so much time. Your, your most two important commodities in your life are your energy and your time. So you know, don't let anybody take that from you, or let yourself take it from you by not being assertive. When it comes to coughing, then, Francis, there's one risk that really stands out to me. And what happens if one person develops feelings? Yes. What I advise there is, you know, don't beat yourself up. You have to put yourself out there. We all lose sometimes. We all win sometimes. This is the process of finding the right person. So, again, if you express yourself early on, that's less likely to happen. And watch for the warning signs. Because some people, you know, not being nasty, Alison, but, Mm. you know, they will suit themselves and they will waste your time. Some people, not all people, and they'll say, yeah, you know, I I, I want this too, or, you know, I'm all in. And then it's not matching their actions, what they're saying. So I would say, don't listen to what people say, watch what people do. And at least you can make the decision then to leave. But, you know, if it doesn't work out, this is the process. It's a stepping stone to the right person for you. It's not, or is it, an indication of how um, kind of temporary or disposable people, and I don't mean to brand young people, but it's mostly young people who do kind of this coughing thing, but is it an indication of how disposable they treat dating? Like, I'll I'll have you now for a couple of months and then I'll move on to somebody else. It can be in a way, and I mean, and as well, you know, this has been happening for ages, there's a new name now on a coughing, but it's it's the human nature doesn't change. And all people do it too, you know, it's it's yeah. everybody. So I think especially like online has made dating more disposable that way. So that doesn't help the online culture. I would say that that's why it seems more prevalent now and that, you know, more young people are doing it because it's the online system as well. You can just, you know, meet people so easily online and connect with them. So that that is a, a big thing behind it, I would say. Yeah, it's also kind of refreshing that people are very upfront with this is what I want and it will be only temporary and take it or leave it. There, there's something kind of refreshing in that too. You know, there is, Alison. I totally agree because I always say to people, the worst thing is somebody wasting your time. Yeah. They're the good, honest people that are honest and say it out straight and they're upfront. It's what I call the stringers are the most detrimental to people love, people's love lives, mm. that they'll string you along and along and along and, you know, not be honest and upfront and they're wasting your time. They're the good people that can say it upfront and say, look, it's your choice, take it or leave it.
Yeah, it is refreshing. Francis, thanks for telling us about it this morning. Anyway, do you think, is it here to stay, coughing? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, winter is here to stay, so coughing is. <laughs> <laughs> Francis, anyone who's looking to make contact with you, how can they do that? Thank you so much, Alison. I'm on all platforms of social media, especially Instagram, and my website is www.franciskellerhercoaching.com. Great. Francis, good to talk to you this morning. Thanks a million. Thank you so much. All the best. Thanks, Francis. That's Francis Kelleher there, dating coach. And now, moving on to a different topic now. And what do you make of the idea of renting out a Christmas tree instead of cutting down a tree for Christmas this year and leaving it for the compost heap come January? What would you make of the idea of getting a potted tree which can be reused year after year and then replanted into the ground or into larger pots during the intervening months? Well, one man is leading the charge on that. He's a Corkman and businessman, Colm Crowley, uh, and he's with ChristmasTree.ie. He joins me on the line now. Colm, good morning. Good morning, Alison. Thanks Good to for talk me to you, Colm. My pleasure. Didn't often we have an old Cork accent on yeah. the air. It's nice to hear it. <laughs> Good to talk to you this morning, Colin. How long have you been doing these, I suppose, recyclable Christmas trees? Well, we're selling Christmas trees for 25 years, but it was only last year we decided to take a chance and do the, the rental business. How do they work? So you can basically buy a pot of tree from us or you can rent it. Um, with the rental, it starts from December 8th until January 2nd. Okay. How much is it to rent a tree? To rent a three-foot tree is thirty euros, okay. and a five-foot then are fifty. And how? So you'd have it for that long. Then do you issue kind of instructions on how to look after them when you're renting them? We do. Like each tree now comes with a care leaf. So, like water will be, will be the biggest one. Just make sure that the tree is watered and it's not in an extremely hot room, like next to a radiator or a fire. Mm. And what's been the reaction to them? Are people more kind of open to the idea of renting? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, like we only did it as a trial run last year because um, like we researched it, but we weren't too sure if this was actually going to work. Um, so, you know, this year then we, we upped our stock and the reaction's been phenomenal. Like we're, we're actually already sold out of our five foot, so it's only three foot rentals now we've left. And what's the motivation behind people who are looking to rent as opposed to buy one? It's the sustainability because the tree gets to stay alive. So the longer the tree gets to stay alive, the more beneficial it is for the environment. It's taking more CO2 out of the atmosphere so and more oxygen uh, into the atmosphere. Mm. What would happen, though, if someone maybe didn't look after them, though, when they came back in a bad state? Are they easy enough to revive? Uh, well, we found that some of our trees from last year, they need another year to recover. Okay. So we'll give them another year, we'll look after them and um, hopefully they'll be able to rent them in next year. It's it's a great idea, certainly a way forward. Do you think this is something that maybe should be introduced in a lot more places around the country? Um, well, we've planned to do it outside of Cork once we get the the model here right. And um, But I'm sure all the growers around the country will probably you know, pick up on the idea and they'll probably do it themselves as well. That's a fantastic idea, Colm. Anyone who's maybe looking for more information on how to rent a Christmas tree, how can they make contact with you? Well, we've moved location out this year. We're actually at the mini storage in Manhattan Industrial Park in Cork. And we're also very active on Instagram at Cork Christmas Trees. And we're also online at christmastree.e. Is transport an issue for you? Do people have to transport them themselves? Um, well, we, we do both. 
okay. we get we encourage people to come and collect it themselves and um, we can also deliver it. Well, it's a fantastic idea. Colm, we wish you all the best with it and thank you thank so, you much, so for much for telling us about it this morning. Thanks, no Colm. Thanks, Alison. That's uh, Colm Crowley there and christmastree.ie is his website if you want to find out more. Fantastic idea and certainly sustainable um, for the environmentally conscious among us. Uh, keep those texts coming into us this morning 083 311 or 1800 <laughs> Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to TIP Today. We were talking about uh, Christmas decorations and uh, reusable or rentable Christmas trees we were speaking to with Colm. I got a few pictures in uh, from a lot of you with your own Christmas decorations up. Uh, It's feeling very festive out there now, isn't it? Patrick, thanks for yours. The house is looking great. Uh, You give me a bit of PTSD, though, with that elf in the shelter. Ruddy elf. God, I, you know, for the next few weeks, we're all going to be waking up at two o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, the elf. So if you have any ideas on, on the elf for the next couple of weeks, I'm sure we'd love to share. We're, we're all stuck for ideas at this stage. Oh, three three double one double three double one. Now, I don't know if you heard, but Bear Grylls, the famous adventurer, he's renamed his alarm clock as an opportunity clock. The adventurer, he's encouraging people to use the power of words to help increase your mental strength. The 48-year-old is also encouraging people to turn the cold tap on their shower for 30 seconds in the morning, which he says can reset your system. Neurolinguistic programming coach Jared Crotty joins me on the line now. Jared, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, good to talk to you this morning. That's quite a mouthful. A neuro-linguistic programming coach. What exactly is that? Well, NLP, essentially it's how we communicate with ourselves. So how you see yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you feel about yourself. And people tend to be very kind of reactive. Whatever's in front of them, they accept it. So NLP creates change very, very quickly and very easily by using how the brain actually works. Okay, because like our internal dialogue mostly, I think for most people, it tends to be quite negative, does it? No, I think it can be. And we, we notice that people think in pictures and they think in sound and they think in feelings. So usually if we're giving out to ourselves, you can, it is that negative voice. And what NLP does would be to change the voice so it doesn't affect you as well. So what Bear Grylls was actually doing is what we call a reframe. So if you think about something like the alarm clock, so like a fire alarm, that's not a great way to get up. But an opportunity clock. Now, the word opportunity wouldn't particularly work for me, but it might be something like a new day clock or a new time clock. And the idea is you reframe it. If, mm. you, turned around, if you turned around and you walked into a room and I said to you, what's bad in this room? What's wrong in this room? You will find it. But if I brought you into the same room and I said to you, what's great about this place? you'll find that too. So what we focus on tends to appear in front of us. 
I always thought people just had a very positive or negative mentality. But is it easy if you if you tend to be more on the negative side? Is it easy to cross over to be more positive? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just habit. Yeah. If you think about it, like if you put Google, if you Google something, I had a friend a few years ago during the Syrian war. He was obsessed for some unknown reason with Syria. But if I put Syria into Google, it would have showed me something like a holiday or something, where when he puts it in, it kept showing him negative stuff. When we look out our own eyes, it's always, it's never neutral. So if you get up in the morning and you think positively, you'll actually have a more positive day. Now, you can actually, what NLP does is actually use that. What gets me up in the morning is breakfast. I love eating. So when my first thing that pops into my head is a big, big picture of breakfast and I get up and I get a good feeling and I'm happy going out. But I also introduce the idea, I make big pictures in front of me of the people around me that I love. And that makes my day better. What people tend to do is focus on what they don't like and then listen to the negative thoughts in their heads or will I feel bad today. But we have much more commands over our brains than people think they have. Yeah. And what, but what if your day starts with a negative experience? For a lot of people, it would be maybe driving to work or driving to school or they get cut off or something happens. So it starts with a negative. Yes. But the point is that life is going to have problems. Whether your attitude towards those problems is good or bad, that makes your day easier. So if something bad happens to you and you get into the habit of recovering and becoming more positive, it will make your day better. And I'm not talking about... Uh, painting your anger pink or ignoring issues. What I'm talking about is thinking on purpose, using your brain, the very mechanism we have, which is a wonderful thing, to work for us rather than against us. And how important are your physical actions? And what I mean by that is this um, tip or this recommendation from Bear Grylls that you, you have the cold shower, so it's the cold water therapy. How much does physical choices play into that? Well, I couldn't have a cold shower, I have to say. But I did. Like, absolutely not. It'd be my nightmare. Um, but I know other people who swear by it. I do. It, I love it. It's brilliant. Oh, I, I could never do it. I, it would be, it'd be like torture to me. Now, that's my attitude towards it. But if I needed to do it, I have the skills, as all of us do, to be able to change my thinking to get that to work for me. Right. I, if you think about it, our entire brain and our limbic system it's incredible. It's a huge um, source of um, joy and love and everything else. But we're designed to turn around and solve problems. We just make it habitual. We, we tend to fall into being negative or automatically fall into being positive. And it's just habitual. And we have the, the technology in the terms of the brain to actually adjust our behavior, adjust our language, adjust our feelings to bring more joy into our own daily lives. Do we need to police what's kind of coming into our brain? And what I mean by that, you touched on it with social media being negative, watching the news, which can be very negative and depressing. Do we need to maybe not engage in it? I personally don't, I have to say. I'm on social media and I watch the news, but I usually watch the headlines and then just turn off. I don't get focused into the detail and detail and detail of their stuff. Same with social media. On Twitter, I would um, follow very right-wing people and very left-wing people to get a more balanced view. Mm. But if I feel that uh, this is starting to annoy me, I just stop. 
And I do think it's important to control the psychological environment around us and whatever works for you. And it could be something really simple. People talk about gratitude and you go through a day where you name seven things you're grateful for or you write down what you're grateful for. That's controlling the psychology of your environment. Yeah. What you bring to mind with me now, actually, is normally if I get up in the morning and I'm running maybe late, I could be five minutes off the clock, we'll say, of what I normally am. And I'll say, oh, that's it now. The day, that's it. That's how my day is going to go now. I'm going behind and it's going to be a bad day. So we need to stop that, don't we? Well, you need to adjust it. Because if you're getting up in the morning from just my guest listening to you is you're talking to yourself into your head. So if you adjusted that voice so it's less uh, tense and it's less at you and you said it in a funny way in you said the exact same words in the uh, voice of your favorite comedian or in a cartoon character and that will automatically adjust it it'll take all the seriousness out of it and the, one of the great things about nlp is once you do it once the brain is a binary system it's either or so what happens is once you adjust that once it's gone that's a great way of thinking of it Jared, can i ask you what kind of people do you work with um, we do, I do everything. I work one on one, but I do everything from getting rid of if, phobias. People are terrified of, you know, a phobia. You can get rid of a phobia in fifteen minutes. Really? I, yeah, because it's how. I'm never interested in why something's happening. I want to know how it's happening, and then once I see that pattern, I can actually adjust it. Now, so you do things really easy, and you make last and change. But we also do things like uh, teach people how to sell. I do job interviews so you control your emotions so you leave nothing um, to chance. Um, we can create anchors. We can create confidence. We can reduce anxiety. Now, it's not therapy because yeah. therapy is about why. All I'm interested in is how. How do you do that? If you get up in the morning and you're having a bad day, how do you do that? And then once I find out how you do that, we can both use it to change. So you, Now you can do it in a good way. So when it comes to phobias, is it all about for you trying to identify where it started and having a new perspective on it? It wouldn't be where it started, but the new perspective would work. I would if if people are scared of it doesn't it doesn't really matter what the phobia is, but yet you create a new perspective. So if somebody was saying I was scared of spiders, I don't really care why um, they believe it happened. It's just how does your brain do that? How are you specifically doing that? And then usually they make bigger pictures or they make spiders bigger than life size. That's obviously, if I start to do that, it's going to scare me. Yeah. So what we do is disassociate. And if you just disassociate out of it by removing, so you, you, are you looking through your own eyes? If you look and you imagine yourself floating out behind yourself, seeing yourself looking, that automatically creates distance. And we would start with that and then the brain just switches off. It just gets rid of it. Because actually phobias is your brain being brilliant. You've learned something really quickly and you never forget to do it. Oh, I get you. All right. I imagine that's really beneficial for young people in particular, maybe who are going through exams who are very anxious about exams. Yeah, you can use it in all different things, but you need to be able to focus. So you need to be able to create a state of concentration. And when you go into an exam, you're actually confident. Yeah. And what we can do is create an anchor, a button in your hand that you will automatically go into those states. And I've worked with athletes doing that. So when they go on to a soccer pitch or when they go into a ring, nothing's left a chance. 
Oh, it's incredible. Jared. and I'm still fascinated by your, your claim that you can cure a, pho- a phobia in 50 minutes. Maybe, I think, if you'd be willing, we'd love to get you on the show maybe sometime with, with some people who have some serious phobias and maybe... Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. what do you think? Because um, I've a lot of experience, Eric, um, and if I was wrong, I'd learn. <laughs> well, that... George, uh, you're so bloody positive. <laughs> It's a pleasure talking to you this morning. If anyone wants to make contact with you, how can they do that? It's jaircrowdy.com or you can contact me on the NLP. You'll see my details on the nlp.ie site. Okay, well, we haven't heard the end of it yet. I think we might hold you to that phobia uh, thing. We'll work on that. You're great to talk to you today. Okay, you have a good day. Bye-bye. That's uh, Jerk Rod. I even feel more positive now. Isn't that great? Well, look, that's it for today. A big thanks to Emma, who was on the phones today. Thanks for all your calls and texts. Tip today, back with you again tomorrow morning from 9am. Stephen is up next. Whatever you're doing for the rest of the day, enjoy it and do it well. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.